WCW Monday Nitro explodes on the air as we come to you live once again for two full hours of the best in professional wrestling, World Championship Wrestling from the Disney MGM Studios in Orlando, Florida. And along with the living legend, Larry Zbysko, I am Tony Schiavone. One week away removed from one of the most blatant attacks in the history of our sport, Larry Zbysko, I asked you a week ago, the attack from the outsiders right here, the random attack, obviously, from the outsiders. Have you ever seen anything like this in all your glorious years in the sports? Well, real men do their fighting in the ring. Hulk Hogan is a man suffering from delusions, of grandeurs, his flunkies are following him into this, Tony. I went over this scenario in my mind a whole week. I've come, you know, figured out this human game of chess, where it's gonna go, and all the outsiders did with their new world odor is light a gigantic fire underneath this pan, and this Saturday, they're all diving, swan style, right in it. You're talking about, of course, Hog Wild on pay-per-view this Saturday. You know, last week, let's take a look at some of the footage now. Last week, we noticed that we had some empty chairs across from ringside. Take a look, four empty chairs. We speculated as if they were maybe there for the New World Order, but then the New World Order did attack, and they attacked, like we said, in random order, and many of the superstars carted away through the ambulance, the security system here, and, of course, the... Uh, the EMTs helped them out. We do understand all the athletes in WCW is okay, but Larry, it's very obvious to me that the security of WCW here is not enough. Well, obviously it's not, but I got, uh, I got an idea. It's gonna be handled different, Tony. From what I hear, now the wrestlers are gonna handle their own security. We do understand that, that the wrestlers will handle their own security here tonight. An unprecedented move in World Championship Wrestling as we see behind us some of the wrestlers coming in right now. You see Scott Norton, Big Bubba is coming out. There is Ming, there's the Barbarian. Gentlemen, these men are not here. There you see this big guy. They're not here to wrestle tonight. They are here to protect what's the back of the wrestlers in World Championship Wrestling as we begin this really wild, hog wild weekend. And we know this. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? You know what? I'm going to throw a quiz at you right away. All right. <laughs> what do we got? It's August 5th, 1996. Yeah. Do you know who your television champion is? Uh, the Okay, hang on. <laughs> um, U.S. is Ric Flair. Uh-huh. World Championships of the Giant. There you go. Harlem Heat are the tag team champions. Mm -hmm. That means that my <laughs> television champion... <laughs> shit. <laughs> hey, um... Is it Lex Luger still? It's still Lex Luger. Wow. <laughs> I think I would have thought that sooner, except... I And I did. I, I thought Lex, and then I was like, no, that was a while ago. But it's just... <laughs> right. A, just it's taken a long time in in real time in 1996 right and b our show has stretched yeah. <laughs> the last two months of 1996 into like mm -hmm. half a year yeah it's like um um since bash of the beach we've been at um this mgm studios 
so it's been like five weeks but for us it's been i think like three months yeah so it and this is our last week finally um yeah i was wrong uh last week uh, last episode i should say yeah uh eagle-eared listeners probably will remember that i was saying that we would be in casper wyoming this week uh that's actually next week after road wild or hog wild will be in Mm -hmm. south dakota and then it makes sense to continue westward go westward young man (laughs) and we will go to the uh, adopted home state of eric bischoff and the uh, home state of former vice president richard dick cheney (laughs) wyoming (laughs) before we get too far into today's show though i want to remind you that you can follow us on twitter at 20 years of nitro you can check us out on facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro and you can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com now, this should be a very interesting episode to cover, not only because it is the uh, go-home show for Hog Wild 1996, mm-hmm. but also because I watched this episode like a good two weeks ago, <laughs> and I wanted to watch it again. You know, I made all my notes and stuff, but I wanted to watch it again just so it'd be fresh. Yeah. Uh, but our nanny ended up getting sick today, so I had two kids, and I did not have time to watch this episode again. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of this, unless it's something great, is like... I have to take great notes because I will forget the day after what it was that I saw. Uh, so, it, like, reading this is going to be like reading something brand new, even though it's my own mm-hmm. thoughts on watching well, I this. Well, I should be able to have some assistance here because I watched all of this just yesterday. <laughs> all right. Well, there we go. There we go. That balances out. Today is August 5th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from Disney MGM Studios just outside Orlando, Florida. As I mentioned, I was sorely mistaken last week when I said they were done with these Disney Nitros. Uh, and it is not till next week that Nitro is once again back on the road. So we are still here in front of 600 or so tourist fans, and this is episode number 47 of WCW Monday Nitro, and again, the go-home show for Hogwild 1996, which will be the first ever iteration of that pay-per-view. They mm-hmm. have not had a Hogwild, uh, which will later be named Road Wild, and we'll talk about that a little bit in like next episode. Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show along with his broadcast partner, Larry Zabisco. Tony asks Larry if he's seen anything like the attack from the NWO last week. Larry says that real men do their fighting in the ring, but Hogan is suffering right now from delusions of grandeur, and Larry describes Nash and Hall as merely Hogan's flunkies. He breaks out his New World odor joke for good measure, Mm -hmm. uh, making sure to get that in and under a minute into the show. Tony then addresses a dangling thread from last week, the mystery of the four empty chairs at ringside. He ties it to the attack, saying basically like it's another clue that there's a fourth man out there in the NWO. Right. We're told that tonight the wrestlers are handling their own security in, quote, an unprecedented move. (laughs) Out comes a random assemblage of the WCW roster who will be part of that ad hoc security force. Scott Norton, Bubba, Meng and the Barbarian are all out, and I like how they've seemingly chosen a list of dudes that, like, you would legitimately not fuck with. That was that that that's what I thought too. I was like, I was like, did they do like a poll and be like, okay, seriously, who would be the four guys? It's like, well, I mean, as long as Meng's out there, that's right. fine. <laughs> Bubba is the least intimidating of those guys, and yeah. he's in di- like, if you ran into Bubba at a bar, you would not fuck with that guy. I I think more so, it's like the Barbarian's the third most intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little bit alarming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's like, hey, to WCW's credit, if they wanted security, they knew who to call on for that. <laughs> we cut to the front row where once again four chairs sit ominously empty. Then it's right to the ring introduction of the Rock and Roll Express, who are getting a tag team title shot for God knows what reason. 
<laughs> uh, I would like to share a little bit of like interesting trivia. Oh, by all means. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express won the Viral Pro Wrestling Tag Team Championship two days ago. Jesus. <laughs> in th- in some place called Thompson, Georgia. I I've never I never heard of it, but I saw just like in recent news. I was like, wait, that Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> <laughs> they are they are a combined age of 120. Wow. <laughs> so although oddly enough, uh, Ricky Morton's 110 years old and Robert Gibson is 10 years old. You're right. It's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> Out next to the WCW Tag Team Champions, the Harlem Heat, accompanied by Sister Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker. Booker and Stevie shout promos at the camera while simultaneously Larry and Tony recap Bobby the Brain Heenan refusing to stick around for last week's show due to the threat posed by the New World Order. By the way, um, I don't know if you caught this or anything. I was trying to figure it out. What is on their polo shirts that they're wearing? Couldn't figure it out. Were you, you were trying though. I was, like, yeah. Because I was like, they're it's a very specific logo, and they're both and it's matching. Yeah, it might be it might be like a Disney MGM thing, or maybe something even that they commissioned for the crew for like this particular set of nitros or something. Yeah. I don't know. So hope, hopefully someone out there that's listening has an answer and can help us out for the next week's episode. All right. So you heard that Tony Schiavone right in <laughs> the heat, get a surprising baby face reaction despite being heels and being accompanied by two heel managers <laughs> and, and Harlem heat usually gets good heat from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is going to be a theme throughout this entire match. They are beloved baby faces just tonight by this crowd for some reason. Yeah, and not only is it that they're being cheered, but they're like getting a chant for their name too. Like they're chanting heat all the time. So constantly, it's not, yeah. It's not just like they're cheering one of the teams. They're they're particularly into Harlem Heat. And they don't fight that very much because like when they start chanting heat at the beginning, Stevie's kind of bobbing his head to it like, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I could get used to this. <laughs> like, It only took them winning the tag team titles like seven times before... <laughs> <laughs> The announcers continue their discussion of last week, with Larry finally declaring that last week won't repeat it ever again. You want to fucking bet, Larry? <laughs> the NWO come out and lay waste to a bunch of people for 25 minutes? That's never going to happen again? <laughs> Larry's like, we can let our guard down, even for a second. Relax, Wendy. Humans will never come to our defenseless little town. It's perfectly safe to let our guard down. Even for a second. I dropped that Futurama quote in here, but I think I've used it on an episode already. (laughs) That's one of our favorite lines. (laughs) That's going in anyway. Stevie Ray starts off with Ricky Morton as the bell rings. Tony gives us some of the rest of tonight's card. The Macho Man will be in action. Chris Benoit is going to face off against Alex Wright. The Booty Man will be facing off against Ric Flair. The Giant squares off against Sergeant Craig Pittman. Hmm. And the main event will be Sting and Lex Luger versus the Nasty Boys. (laughs) Wow, the nasty boys, everyone. Stevie Ray has done literally nothing, and he's all out of ideas, so he tags in Booker before a single move of the match has occurred. <laughs> That's a new record for Stevie. <laughs> the bell rings, he kind of looks around, yeah. and he tags in Booker T. Can you imagine if like him and um, McMichael, McMichael have to like figure out a match like one-on-one? Oh, God. They both are so... like reliant on literally anyone else to figure it out yeah. for them. You know, I will say, speaking of Stevie Ray for a second, he has, I'm not sure if it's a radio show or a podcast, I tend to see it in YouTube clips, mm-hmm. but he's got like a mic and a headset, so it's got to be recorded for something. The weirdest thing is, I was watching a clip of that last night. 
Oh, really? Yeah. He's great, I think. Mm-hmm. he. I really enjoy the way he tells stories. There's a really good John Tenta one uh, that I won't talk about because it's actually, we'll talk about it later when we get to that moment in mm-hmm. WCW time. Um, but he's a pretty engaging speaker, and, and I really enjoy his show a lot. Yeah, I mean, just based on how he comes off on, on television, you kind of feel like that he doesn't have a lot of, like, charisma or anything going for him. But, no, he's, like, he, he and he's not, like, a, a, a kind of, because I would have assumed he's the kind of guy where it's like, it's still kayfabe. Oh, sure. But no, he's like really open to answering questions and stuff like that. So no, I that that's weird. I was just like watching <laughs> the same thing. Uh, Booker also has a podcast, but I have not given that a single solitary listen. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> we give him enough time on Raw, <laughs> and I think we have an idea of what his podcast would be like. Booker goes to lock up and Ricky Morton ducks and dodges. Booker looks mildly annoyed and goes to lock up again, and this time Norton totally engages him in the lockup, so I'm not sure why he dodged the first one. He's like, nah, I'm too smart to lock up. Okay, now we're going to lock up, though. (laughs) Booker gets a side headlock and then comes off the ropes with a big shoulder block that sends Morton to the mat. Morton seems to be legit shaken up by this as he's very slow to get to his feet, and when he does, he leans against the ropes for a bit, shaking his head to clear the cobwebs. At one point, Booker moves towards him, and Morton just waves him off, like, nope, nope, give me a second here. (laughs) Morton has some words with Jimmy Jett, shakes his head a couple more times, but stays in the match. 1996 right there, like, it seemed like maybe he got a stinger or a concussion, or you know, but it's just like, well, shake it off, bud. Another lockup, and another side headlock, and another shoulder block off the ropes from Booker, and another loud chant for the heat. Morton gets a kick to Booker's gut and tags in Robert Gibson and the Rock and Roll Express hit dual shoulder block that grounds Booker. The two mulleted old men then clothesline Booker to the outside where the Heat and their manager confer. Booker tags in Stevie Ray as we go to a commercial break. Uh, during our commercial, we get a new Slim Jim ad that we have not seen before. Uh, this time, Macho Man hates chips. He, he hates really generic bo- bags of chips. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I think it was just a gray and it just had chips on it. It's like gas station brand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we come back, Gibson is working over Stevie's leg as the camera lingers on Flash Norton, keeping a watchful eye on the crowd. Morton comes in and continues the focus on the leg of Stevie, but Stevie Ray is soon able to tag in Booker. Booker takes advantage of Stevie distracting Morton for a second and hits a Harlem sidekick. More heat chances, Booker hits his axe kick for a big pop and a two count. Like a huge pop. The crowd, I can't stress enough how into the heat they are for some reason. <laughs> I mean, the heat are great. Don't get me wrong. It's just mm-hmm. they're always heels. Even at Disney MGM, it's like we just got a fresh batch of tourists and they randomly selected a bunch of guys that love Harlem Heat. Yeah, and, and it's also it's just like that first match heat too. You know, like yeah. People are just like ready for action. Unless they had some dark matches, but I have no idea. Interestingly enough, uh, the Heat will not give this reaction at the pay-per-view, and I think it'll be something that we talk quite a bit about. Oh, okay. Uh, let's just let's just preview that by saying that Harlem Heat, for some reason, is not very popular with the biker crowd in Sturgis, <laughs> South Dakota. The biker <laughs> crowd. <laughs> yeah, think of think of a few reasons that could be. <laughs> Back into the match. <laughs> comes Stevie Ray. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. Who continues the dominance of Morton with strikes and a press slam, followed by a standing elbow drop for a two count. Booker is tagged in, and he slaps and chokes Morton and locks in a headlock. For some reason, Stevie Ray becomes distracted by Parker and Cherry on the outside. They're just kind of chatting, doing like kind of 
lovers. They're in love, but they're also kind of arguing. And for some reason, Stevie finds this very distracting, even though really they're not doing anything that ostentatious. (laughs) So distracted is Stevie Ray that Booker becomes distracted by how distracted Stevie Ray is. Okay. So it's just a chain of distraction now. (laughs) Booker, in fact, releases the hold he has on Morton and goes to check on things. And we see Parker, who is for some reason dabbing Sherry's face with his handkerchief. (laughs) The distraction allows Morton to roll up Booker, but only for two. Booker comes back in with a clothesline and tags in Stevie Ray. Booker then hops to the outside and scolds Sherry and Parker, who is dripping with sweat in his suit and hat and all that, (laughs) just baking in the Florida humidity. Ugh. He heads back into the match as Sherry fans Parker with his hanky. (laughs) Sherry and Parker continue talking, and Booker admonishes them from the corner, asking them to please concentrate. (laughs) Meanwhile, Stevie Ray has a headlock on, and the crowd again is chanting for the Harlem Heat for a Stevie Ray headlock. (laughs) Scoop slam from Stevie and a tag to Booker T. Booker drops an elbow, but Morton dodges. However, Booker no-sells it and does a spin a rooney popping right back up for a huge jumping sidekick for two. Booker flattens Morton with a sidewalk slam, but misses a forearm from the second rope, and Morton finally makes it to Gibson for the hot tag, which Tony actually just calls a hot tag. Oh. Gibson has punches and knees for both men, then a back body drop for Booker and an enziguri for Stevie. Morton and Gibson hit the double drop kick on Booker, but Sherry comes in and tries to kiss Gibson as he gets the pin, uh, which she'd recently done to Dick Slater, either last week or the week before, I remember. Oh, sure. But Gibson just shoves her violently to the <laughs> ground. Really shoves her. <laughs> An incensed Robert Parker jumps to the apron to defend his woman's honor. He takes a couple of weak swing swings that don't come within two feet of Gibson before Gibson nails him with a big right hand that drops Parker to the ground but leaves Gibson open to a big boot to the face from Stevie Ray. Booker, the legal man, makes the cover, and Jimmy Jett arrives to count the 1-2-3, and Harlem Heat retain their tag titles. Uh, the match was alright, a decent showcase for the Harlem Heat heading into a pay-per-view title defense, mm-hmm. and a ever-so-slight progression on the continuing story between them and their managers. Yes. Uh, you know, it was a decent opener. It wasn't. I didn't think it was great, but like nothing was terrible, and the crowd was into it. I was about to say, I think the crowd helped a lot yeah. with this. Yeah. <laughs> It was easy to fo- it's it's easier to focus on a match when you when the crowd's focusing on the match too. That's absolutely true. Sherry comforts Parker at ringside as the Heat celebrate. Larry walks us through replays, and then it's time to go to Mean Gene, who is in the entrance aisle along with the Nasty Boys. Thank you very much, Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco, gentlemen. I have with me the Nasty Boys. Please, this is a public place. Jerry Sags and Brian Nobbs. Tonight, a little bit later on, they're going to be facing Lex Luger and Sting in a very crucial, a very important tag team matchup. But guys, we know the relationship you've had with Hollywood Hogan, but what about this new world order? What do you make of it all? Yo, just because Hulk Hogan is a friend of the Nasty Boys, we're getting a lot of geek. If you know what I mean. What's a friend? Always a friend. But Hulk Hogan does what he wants to do, and the Nasty Boys do what they want to do. It's a free country. Everybody has their own opinion. Jerry Sags, where do you stand? I stand right here. I don't say what Hulk Hogan. Hey, 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 wait a minute, Lex and Luke. Neither one of you guys are being very clear about this each and every week, and we want to know right now, where do you stand? Are you going to be a nasty boy with WCW, are you going to walk with the outsiders? Hey, we stand where we always stood, right here in Nastyville. That's where we stand. And by the way, it's none of your stinking business anyway. 
But we're gonna make it our stinking business tonight. Well, bring it on, pal! Bring it on! Hey, wait a minute, cooler tempers hey, have got to prevail. That's exactly what the nasty boys are talking about. Where was the WCW there? They just walked out here. Where's the WCW in our last couple matches? We don't condone what Hulk Hogan did, but we don't say there's nothing wrong with it either. Thank you very much, the nasty boys. Things heating up here on Nitro, and stay tuned, lock it in, because we're gonna be right back with more. Gene asked the Nasty Boys what they make about the NWO as they are longtime associates of Hulk Hogan's. Brian Nobbs says that just because they are Hogan's friends, they're getting a lot of suspicion. Hogan's their friend, but it's a free country, and everyone does what they want to do and has their own opinion, which is some very dubious moral relativism. <laughs> Seg starts his bit of the promo, but he's very soon interrupted by the Nasty's opponents for tonight, staying in Lex Luger. Sting demands that they declare exactly where they stand. Sags says that they stand right where they always have, in Nastyville. Knob ah. says it's none of their business, but Lex says tonight they plan to make it their business. <laughs> Sting and Luger walk away as the Nasties proclaim their neutrality. <laughs> that was nice that they set up Luger, because Luger usually needs a setup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gene tosses it to commercial, and uh, blood's still running cold. <laughs> so we are officially past July. <laughs> So maybe, maybe it's just since they've been down in Florida, it's just too hot for him. We're going to talk about it when the character finally debuts. But I mean, there's an argument to be made that that character just has no chance now <laughs> based on how long they've been hyping this up. Right. And that they said July and then July passed and they're still doing it. And they just took the July part off. Mm-hmm. Like they, I don't know who, who could possibly get past that now, you know? Right. And there's like the one commercial of him doing martial arts, and you just yes. you just you you recognize it's the same commercial. It's not progressing. You're not seeing anything more of him. It's just the same thing. Yeah, it's very gabo gabo gabo. And it's just like this guy could be dead for all we know. <laughs> Maybe they're just it's a long they're covering. <laughs> His debut is going to be a funeral. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. It reminds me, and it doesn't end up being this. It does. It just ends up being a wrestler named Glacier. But it reminds me of the Funkasaurus, where for months they told us Brodus Clay was coming and he was this big badass. Oh, and then yeah. all of a sudden he just came out and he was the Funkasaurus. And for that one night it was fucking awesome. <laughs> and then after that it was just kind of the Funkasaurus. Yeah. No, I would take, I say it was cool for a couple of weeks. Yeah. 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 But it, yeah, I mean, like, that was kind of a twist where you're like, well, I didn't expect that. No, <laughs> I, I was floored when I was watching that. And if Glacier came out and, like, danced and sang i like who knows maybe that's the best chance he could have had at this point <laughs> if he I don't just know. suddenly put on a cowboy hat and was like <laughs> strumming us <laughs> when we come back to the show tony promises tony promises us that Hogwild this saturday will see quote some of the greatest matches ever wow you remind <laughs> that's a bold promise i know greatest matches ever that's exactly that's what he says plural he reminds us of the Battle of the Bikes between Bull Nakano and Alundra Blaze. Oh, ex- I'm sorry, Medusa. My notes say Alundra Blaze, but Medusa. Where the loser's motorcycle will be wrecked by the victor. Malia Hosaka comes out with Sunny Ono. She's got some intriguing new music that sounds more like the score of an 80s sci-fi movie. I was really digging it. Yeah. As in her last appearance, she sort of gives away that she's not Japanese when she asks a member of the crowd to shut up. I had that note as well. <laughs> I said she told the fan to shut up in the least Japanese accent imaginable. She doesn't even try, which <laughs> right. to her credit, like, good, because it probably would just be kind of racist. Well, and, and also, I'm sure she's not given a lot of direction. Oh, that's very <laughs> true. 
Yeah, uh, just a reminder for people who don't remember a couple of months ago when we covered that episode. She's Hawaiian, yeah, uh, not Japanese. Medusa makes her way to the ring to what also might be a new theme, or I've just never noticed it before. I'm not sure. It, some, it's also it's always debatable if these are like covered up or That's whatever. So I, I, yeah, whenever I hear a new song, I'm just like, sure, maybe that was during then, or maybe not. Who knows? She comes out and promises the camera that she's going to send Hosaka back to the rising sun. <laughs> Here to call all of the action is our own samurai bonsai kamikaze warrior, Dave Amantorp. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, all right, so the match begins with the two women feigning a collarable tie-up, but Medusa goes low with a leg sweep. A really good leg sweep. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it. And and so I didn't know exactly what the phrase was, so I was like, I, immediately I look up Perry Saturn, because when I think of that, I think Perry Saturn. Sure. So. But, no, it was really well done. Malia was, like, caught out by surprise, and I think you would be because you wouldn't expect a leg sweep right away. Yeah. Um, she recovers quickly, and the two actually lock up with Malia applying a wrist lock that she floats over into a leg takedown. Malia whips Medusa to the far corner, but Medusa flips over it flare style. When Malia uh, rushes up to capitalize on her effort, she's met with a slap to the belly. Seriously. <laughs> Which, it sounds good, but... It's clearly just a belly slap. Yeah. And a sunset flip for almost a two count. We get a couple of more counters before Malia goes to the for the traditional 90 women, 90s women's wrestling maneuver of tossing her opponent across the ring by her hair. Yeah. she There's a, there's a lot of hair-based offense in this match, and Larry the whole time is suggesting that Medusa should shave her head right. to just negate the enemy's yeah. ability to control her by the hair. Right. And Tony's just not into that. No, idea Tony. Either. He's like, no, she wouldn't. Why? You hate her haircut or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> strategic. If you're thinking only strategically, I guess Larry has a point. Right. And Tony should at least say, like, I understand where you're coming from. I don't think the young lady wants to do that, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, that's totally the Shivani way of saying that, too. Uh, so Malia then hits. She does, like, the, the slingshot into the bottom rope or... Uh, Medusa's underneath the bottom rope, and it's supposed to catch her in the th- on the throat, but it catches Medusa more on the mouth than the throat, and she's kind of holding her mouth after that. So I was just like, "Ow, that probably kind of stung." An Irish whip by Malia is uh, sort of countered by Medusa because Medusa, in reverse an Irish whip, loses Malia's arm, but she just keeps going anyway. <laughs> yep, D- just being a pro, and then she hits a spin wheel kick. But Malia's quick to her feet and knocks Medusa down, then applies, like, some, like, half-ass, like, standing leg lock. It just, like, kind of, like, crosses over for figure four and then just kind of stands there like it's a submission move. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, she finangles it into a figure four leg lock. And then we get more conventional 90s wrestling as Malia, for some reason, releases a hold, then goes for a version of the Indian death lock. Uh, Medusa escapes that hold, so Malia grabs her hair some more, and then we get more comments about shaving her head. The two women exchange blows as we cut to a shot of a black limousine near the ring. How exciting. <laughs> Back in the ring, Medusa has Malia for her pile, set up for a pile driver, only she kind of does like a gut red suplex instead. Um, that only gets a two count. Malia then hits a sunset flip, which is broken up as the momentum brought Medusa into the ropes. Back on their feet. Medusa places Malia on the turnbuckle, uh, on top on the top turnbuckle, and hits a middle rope suplex. But Sunny Ono is on the apron to distract the referee. 
Medusa drop kicks Sunny Ono, but that gave Malia the opening she needed. She knocks Medusa down, covers her, and Sunny Ono holds her feet for the three count. Oh my god. <laughs> Malia Hosaka has won on Monday Night Trio. Yeah, yeah. Over the uh well, I was gonna say champion, but we don't have a champion, but the Set the the de facto champion of the sort of existent women's division, right? And the person going into like uh, her marquee match in like five days. Yeah, it's very strange. I guess it's just like Bull Nakano isn't in from Japan yet, mm-hmm. so we're just we're giving the win to Hasaka, but really we're giving it to Sunny Ono. Right. That was kind of my impression too. Was that like? Oh, now that when Sunny Ono is with Bull Nakano, mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, okay, she he might know what her number is or something. Like right, that. right, yeah. I think it's it's all just to get heat on uh, Ono going into the pay per view, but mm-hmm. the crowd really hated the end. I don't think just that the heel won, but I think they didn't like the way it kind of went down. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, it didn't come off very well, largely because it just it doesn't feel to me, and this is. Maybe this is a stupid thing to say because what does heat feel like? It just didn't feel like the right kind of heat to me. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a the referee goes out of the ring and there's like a weird moment where he almost looks like he's going to like wave it off. Right. But then just raises her hand anyway, like upon Belia's insistence that she won. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It's, it's a really it plays out really weird and you don't really get a lot of the uh, she doesn't get the benefit of the win, really. And then they just cut right to commercial. Yep. And when we come back from that commercial, Tony promotes Saturday night, which this week will be a two-hour live pre-show for Hog Wild, which will include an interview with Ric Flair, Arn Anderson against Hugh Morris, and John Tenta against Big Bubba. Uh, you might remember after the last pay-per-view, we thought for sure that was done. Mm-hmm. But on the first Nitro at the Disney MGM Studios, they had a confrontation. Yep. It has not been mentioned since, at least on Nitro. Right. I kind of click through the Saturday nights. I don't I don't watch the whole thing, but I don't remember seeing either man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, we're told that they're... And, and by the way, spoiler alert, they won't face on that Saturday night before Hog Wild. It just oh, no. does not happen. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know, and I've been trying to find out why, and maybe by the time we record our next episode, I'll know. But that match just is gone by the time we get there. By the way, in 1996... The fact that they have a two-hour pre-show yeah. and they're going to have like a five-hour event, yeah, especially in like the the open space, like free boozing, yeah, it's going to be it, it. It might be kind of a mess by the time we get to like nine o'clock. Well, and you're you're taking a crowd of people that aren't wrestling fans and may not be into it all that much, mm-hmm. and then by the time like Hogan and Giant come out, they're going to have been sitting there watching it for five hours? Right. That just seems insane to me. That's just <laughs> a recipe for a crowd that's not going to give a shit. <laughs> right. Tony then shows us replays from three weeks ago when Dean Malenko, at the behest of the Dungeon of Doom, attacked Chris Benoit during the Crippler's match with Eddie Guerrero, which caused Benoit to lose. Tony says that two nights ago on Saturday night, Malenko explained that Jimmy Hart has promised him that if he takes out Benoit at the pay-per-view, Hart will use his political influence in the company to get <laughs> Dean a rematch for the Cruiserweight Championship. Is, is this political influence <laughs> the fact that they don't give a shit about that title? <laughs> I think they give a shit about the Cruiserweight <laughs> title at this point. I don't think that's quite fair. I think you could say that a while from now, but yeah. I don't think you could really say that right now. Wait, there. This is a weird trend for this episode in which, like, guys are just, like, negotiating title shots. Right. 
Now, now this of course makes no sense at all. Why right. Jimmy Hart doesn't manage Mysterio? Right. He's never had any on-screen role other than the manager of Hulk Hogan and the Dungeon of Doom. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe if he was Hogan's manager, you could say like, okay, well he's like the best friend and manager, the most powerful man in the company in kayfabe and not in kayfabe. Mm-hmm. But just as the manager of the Dungeon of Doom, like how on earth is he getting cruiserweight title shots for people? My my guess is that he is so annoying to Eric Bischoff yeah. that eventually Bischoff's like, fine, just leave me alone. <laughs> God. The political influence is being an annoying twerp. <laughs> Actually, that makes perfect sense. Right. Means it's time for Alex Wright, baby. (laughs) He gets a good reaction from the crowd, but when they cut to the crowd, some dowdy dad with a mustache is giving a big thumbs down. Hey, come on. Just like this European pretty boy. (laughs) It's this guy's not having it. (laughs) We are treated to the four horsemen theme, and out comes uh, Chris Benoit, accompanied by Liz and Woman. Yeah, recently. Um, Benoit's appearances have been with the, the actually the Horseman theme and not his like Crippler. Theme. Yeah, which is good for me because I love the Horseman theme. Yeah, and also it just reminds you that he's actually part of the group too. <laughs> <laughs> After the bell, Benoit gets right into a corner and pretends to back off before raking the eyes and unleashing uh, vicious punches and kicks. Nick Patrick has to physically pull him off and Benoit immediately flies back at right, but the young German counters with a European uppercut. Wright then takes the offensive, getting Benoit in the corner and delivering some frenzied kicks of his own. Wright gets a hip toss and a scoop slam for one, and then a nice standing drop kick right into the chest of Benoit, sending the horsemen to the floor. A line from Larry Zbysko perfectly encapsulates the attention issues that American televised wrestling announcers often suffers, uh, d- you know, during the matches when they're just kind of talking about whatever bullshit. Mm-hmm. So the camera cuts from Benoit to the outside of a limo park nearby, so Larry just changes in midstream. He goes... Alex Wright had a nice offense, but can he maintain it? And uh uh-oh, there's the limo. What's in it? (laughs) Back in the ring, Benoit gets a side headlock on, and he levels Wright with a shoulder tackle. Oh, yeah, he gets a side headlock, then he pushes him in the ropes, then he gets a shoulder tackle. Checks out. I kind of missed a step in there. He slaps Wright a few times and puts a headlock on. Larry wants to show how smart he is, so he criticizes the snugness of the headlock (laughs) so that when Wright escapes, because of course he's going to escape, that's what a babyface does, and Larry knows that's going to (laughs) happen, then Larry gets to go, see, I told you it wasn't a, like, no, you just know how wrestling works, you (laughs) fuckface. You (laughs) fuckface. Benoit switches to a wrist lock, which Wright reverses, so Benoit elbows him in the head for showing such impertinence. Off the ropes, Wright leapfrogs Benoit, then drops to his back and uses his feet to launch Benoit across the ring in sort of a monkey flip. And I think that's what the announcers call it, but it's not actually a monkey flip. It's just sort of putting your feet in the air and the other guy puts his tummy on your feet and then you, like, push him. Yeah. It's sort of a launch pad. I, there's no word for that that I know of, but there should be. <laughs> Wright hits a couple of textbook head scissors in a row. Just really, really solid, like, mm. that's exactly what that move should look like. And the crowd gets pretty hyped up. But then he does an arm drag and works the arm for a bit, almost kind of like in a heel fashion, yeah. and the crowd <laughs> dies off. <laughs> you excited? Well, I'll show you. <laughs> Wright misses a dive into the corner, really nailing his face into the turnbuckle. Benoit gets a knee to the gut as the announcers put over the unique circumstances that has members of the Dungeon of Doom, namely Mang Barbarian and Bubba, out providing protection for one of the horsemen. Hmm. Benoit stays in control with strikes and a side suplex for two. 
More strikes from Benoit to right, and the crowd seems to be cheering at about the same volume and tone, regardless of who is on offense. <laughs> Benoit picks up right and drops him belly first onto the top rope. Benoit goes for a knee to the gut, but right turns it into a roll-up for two. Benoit gets a snap suplex for his own two count, as Larry casts doubt on the NWO actually being in the limo, saying that driving right up to the crowd like that doesn't fit the group's cowardly M.O. Ooh. But, that, but that's also like there's only that space for the limo. Yeah. And that's where every car has been parking. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Benoit locks in an abdominal stretch and Larry has lots of notes on how he could do it better. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> Wright manages to escape. That's why Larry Zabisco is known as a better technical wrestler is Chris Benoit. Oh, wait, that's not true. <laughs> that's never been true. <laughs> Wright manages to escape from an arm drag, but Benoit hits him in the face and stays in control with a couple of holds that he just gives up on for no reason. 90s wrestling again. Benoit gets a scoop slam as Jimmy Hart walks out. Hart isn't freaking out like last week. He approaches Woman and Liz, and the camera is able to pick up some of the conversation. Yeah, now I listened to this part, <laughs> and and his reasoning is is dubious at best. He's trying to peel Woman away from the horseman. He tells woman that she's wasting her time with Liz, whom he accurately describes as a human mannequin. <laughs> so whatever problems you have is logic. I was on board with him at that point. It's <laughs> like, oh, touche. <laughs> she, she would have defended herself, but, you know. <laughs> he says that Benoit is also a waste of woman's time, that he's never going to win a championship. He implores woman to come to the back, saying that there's someone back there that she's driving crazy pointing to the airbrush portrait of Kevin Sullivan on his necktie. <laughs> Benoit's never going to win a championship. Now, Kevin Sullivan on the <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, this is the most uh, on screen that they've ever acknowledged the relationship between woman and Kevin Sullivan. They've, they've yeah. been fairly subtle about it in the past with um, Benoit attacking the shit out of Sullivan at the uh, Bash at the Beach pay-per-view and then mm -hmm. woman coming out and trying to stop him. Yeah. And the announcers never talked about why that was. Mm -hmm. So now they're being, you know, a lot more explicit with what's going on here. And you just, you always have to remember since it's Kevin Sullivan, it's, he's still trying to play the boys a right. little bit. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Hart says that when Kevin Sullivan's life is miserable, Jimmy Hart's life is miserable. <laughs> what? Haven't you thought about me? <laughs> Woman steadfastly refused to come with him as the announcers feigned complete ignorance as to what uh, Hart's talking about. Oh, sure. Like, which is really stupid because, okay, if you're going to, like, wink at the audience and be like, these two are married, if if I'm the smart Mark in the audience who knows what's going on, mm -hmm. then I also know that Tony and Larry know that they're married. Right. <laughs> so it makes no sense to have the announcers be like, I'm just as clueless as you are, folks. <laughs> they're just going out of their way their way to like look stupid <laughs> yes back at, well and also they probably haven't been told that this is the plan and that like we're gonna start oh. suggesting this so they're like are we supposed to cover it up like they have no i'm sure they have no notes mm -hmm. on what to do in this scenario yeah I, I always remember hearing that there was a lot of like oh it's if they're surprised by things that makes it more authentic yeah there's a combination of bischoff who said that he didn't like that the announcers would foreshadow things to get themselves over and um, Sullivan, who likes to, like you said, work the boys. So there's like two guys in charge who both don't feel like cluing announcers in. <laughs> right. <laughs> Back in the ring, Benoit is laid out and Alex Wright is on the top rope. 
Wright comes down with a pretty stupid single foot onto Benoit's chest. Yeah. I, it's like a one-foot stomp, kind of. It looks like a good way to break an ankle and not much more than that. It was it was almost like he expected not to get a move. Yeah. And then in the air, he was like, wait, I'm supposed to be doing something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, it, it was the flying nothing actually executed uh, <laughs> right. with success. <laughs> right. That's what all those guys are trying to do when they're doing the flying nothing is get one kind of tap on the guy with one foot. <laughs> right. <laughs> we cut back outside the ring where Dean Malenko is suddenly present and trying to drag woman to the back against her will. Benoit slingshots himself over the top rope and down onto Dean, and the two exchange blows on the outside, fighting their way to the back. The bell rings very quickly. Nick Patrick was not fucking around with his 10 count. <laughs> right. Tony says the bell has rung, then is unsure if it actually rung, and then confirms that, yeah, it did. <laughs> Twice now in three weeks, Malenko has been the cause of Benoit count-out losses on Nitro, which seems like kind of a boring build for their match on Hog Wild. Right. It's like, over the past couple weeks, uh, Benoit, uh, Benoit's suffered a couple count-out losses, <laughs> so these two really hate each other. <laughs> and in Malenko's mind, he has to win so that Jimmy Hart will convince Rey Mysterio to give Dean Malenko a rematch. <laughs> the stakes are so high. <laughs> also, after after five weeks of being in this place, yeah. we finally have... The, yes. The palm tree. That's my next note here. Yeah, all right. Benoit <laughs> Irish whips Dean into the palm tree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which causes Tony to exclaim, and watch out, ow, the palm tree. Yes. <laughs> Has caused Benoit to lose by count and watch out the palm tree. <laughs> it's especially painful because it's a palm tree. Did you see the gif? I saw it was on Reddit or Twitter the other day. I think it was Twitter, actually. It was uh, some indie match or some, or just two guys fucking around. I'm not sure. And one Irish whips the other. They're outside, like on the curb, on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. He Irish whips the other guy, and he runs to the curb and then stops and looks both ways across the street yeah, and I've then runs that. across the street. And then goes splat against yeah, the wall. Yeah, that was pretty good. That, yeah. made, me, that made me laugh. <laughs> killing the business in a good way. Oh, just killing the business. <laughs> Not, ba not back in the 90s when they're Irish whipping into real things like palm trees. <laughs> as we go to commercial, we get a shot of the limo. There's the limo, cries Larry, <laughs> as if it just appeared out of nowhere and isn't parked in the exactly same spot where it's been for 20 minutes. <laughs> I guess whenever there isn't something on his monitor, Larry becomes unsure of its location in space and time. <laughs> right. He is the object permanence of my uh, eight-month-old. <laughs> After a commercial break, we come back to the sounds of Lord Stephen Regal's theme, and out he comes, accompanied by Jeeves. The Macho Man is out next, and he gets some high-quality pyro shot off from the top of the ticket gate that we've talked about in a few past weeks. Mm -hmm. As Macho Man comes to the ring, Tony mentions Randy's promise that he's going to attack Hogan during Hogan's walk to the ring at the pay-per-view on Saturday. It'll be disappointing if he doesn't at this point because that, that they've kind of hyped that up as much as a match. I've got news for you. <laughs> <laughs> Next week you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I think it, they talk about it later tonight, so we'll, okay. we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> Regal riles up the crowd before the match, eliciting a brief USA chant that turns into a chant for Macho Man. And here to call all the action is our own Macho Macho Man, <laughs> Dave Amatorp. <laughs> nice. I was I was alarmed when Randy Savage came out because he is wearing everything matching for yeah. like the first time in Nitro's <laughs> history. Uh, 
Because usually it's like he has the tights, he has the jacket and the hat and sunglasses. They all can match, but he usually goes out of his way to make sure every single one doesn't match. But tonight he has the like uh, black and white, which I don't know if it was like a like a call out to the NWO wearing the NWO colors or something like that. Yeah, I maybe. don't know because they. I mean, later on they'll make a big deal about what Sting's wearing. So. <laughs> Um, so the bell rings with Steve Regal on the outside, which, you know, that that's like the rules. You can just start a match <laughs> <laughs> An aggressive collar and elbow tie up that both men try to leverage for their advantage. This brings him to the corner where the referee breaks him cleanly. A second collar and elbow tie up that Regal muscles into a wrist lock, then delivers a hip toss that angers Macho Man more than anything. Lots of posturing before we get collar and elbow tie up number three which Savage gets into a wrist lock of his own. Regal flips out of the hole before dropping Macho Man with a drop toe hold. Regal ducks a collar and elbow tie-up and slaps on his second wrist lock of the match. Finally, Savage is on the offensive, slamming Regal's head on into the turnbuckle before dragging his face across the top rope. That always looks so painful. Yeah, that does. <laughs> I agree. And I, someone was, one of the two guys was saying like how, no, it must have been Zabisco was talking about like how really painful it is sure and how he was really tough uh savage put a boot to regal's throat before blatantly choking his lordship regal regains advantage with a couple of european uppercuts as the fabled 30 second dynamite appears on yeah. our television screen i was really excited to see it i'm not sure if we missed it for a week or a couple of weeks it felt like we did I, when, I, when it was there i was like "Ooh, the dynamite's back yeah i felt i felt like a couple of weeks we had the fireworks but not like the countdown right um, as Regal applies a chin lock, Tony Schiavone indicates he's receiving mixed messages. No, mixed signals. Yeah, he's kind of like bitching about it. Yeah, from somewhere. Regal tosses Savage to the outside as Tony says there's no Bobby Heenan or Eric Bischoff for the hour two launch. Yeah, intrigue. In, in which Larry Zabisco loses his shit over, basically. Regal and Savage fight on the outside as fireworks go off. And I always like writing like what action's going on right when fireworks go <laughs> yeah. off. And Tony just kind of welcomes us to hour two. Like he he he's a pro. Yep. He's like, all right, they're not here, so I'm just rolling with it. And he's like, I guess I gotta be with you for another hour, Larry. It's not what they pay me for. <laughs> Back at the ring, Regal unloads with forearms as Sting and Lex Luger arrive at ringside. During their entrance, Savage was on the offensive, but now Regal has him backed into the corner, delivering European uppercuts. Um, at this point, because they have the four seats, yeah. like last week, and Sting and Luger are like, oh, well, no one's sitting here. How about we sit here? Yes. And they make a grand gesture of sitting there. This is kind of the beginning of a thing that will go on um, into the next segment, where... Sting and Lex are trying very hard this week to be cool because mm-hmm. I think they're starting to realize that they are, not are looking, looking cool. Exactly. <laughs> with Hall and Nash have redefined what it, they're they've come in with a very 90s cynical coolness. Yeah. And Lex and Sting were very old fashioned throwback 80s baby faces. Mm-hmm. So they have quickly figured out like shit. We're going to get completely left behind in the eyes of the fans if we can't like up our cool quotient. Yeah. So we're going to come out here and we're going to sit in these chairs and we're going to like 
be kind of snarky about what we're seeing and just have like their their whole attitude is so completely different mm-hmm. from what it's been for weeks and it kind of becomes a little bit much as the night goes on <laughs> if you ask me especially since everything they're doing is just like exactly copying yes because as we remember weeks and weeks ago when when hall and ash sat at ringside yep yep so so far they're all for one in originality um, but we still have a match going on as the two combatants spill to the outside, which has grown to be quite crowded at this point because <laughs> we still have the enforcers yep, out there. Yep. We have the commentators at ringside and now Sting and Luger are kind of lounging around. So they're like, they go to the outside and they're like pushing through wrestlers to yeah. try to get over to the next spot. Um, which is Savage taking Regal and slamming his face into the chairs and not having a regard for if Sting's in a move or not, <laughs> which is like, that's totally like a Randy Savage sort <laughs> yes, of Yes, absolutely. Uh, anyway, uh, Savage gets Regal back in the ring where he hits the elbow drop for the pinfall victory. Uh, this was kind of just a match thrown in there more to, to, to progress to what's going on in the outside. Right. Really. I was happy that Regal was back, but then it was like, oh, that's just, he's just going to job, isn't he? After the match, Sting and Luger wander over to the limo as a camera follows. Sting opens the door and peers inside. He pulls out a funeral wreath of white flowers, complete with a ribbon that says, Condolences in glittery sequins. You can't read any of the other words, but Tony just says that it says, Condolences (laughs) to the death of WCW. I I did notice that, because I was like, I'm trying to read it. Yeah. I can't see it, but Tony has (laughs) it. (laughs) <laughs> Luger and Sting head back towards the ring as Tony throws it to me and Gene. What do we have here? It's a bouquet. Isn't that nice? Isn't that something? Condolences. No, no outsiders. Condolences. This week. It says. I'm told it says condolences on the death of WCW. Oh, this is a very, very unfunny, cruel joke perpetrated, planted a signal. Kind of a warning, obviously, from the New World Order. A cruel joke to you, another act of cowardice to me. They're not manly enough to show up, get in the ring, and fight it out. They're going to send flowers. All right, Gene Okerlund, let's go to you in the ring, Gene. It becomes a very complicated world that we live in here on Monday nights on WCW Monday Nitro. And uh, hey, knock off the Matlock jokes there, pal, from New York. Macho Man Randy Savage. I cannot believe the deal you have cut. You are going to be meeting either the Giant or Hollywood Hogan, regardless of who wins this coming Saturday night at Hogwild. You will get the first shot at the WCW Heavyweight Championship. And I don't know what to make of all of this uh, disruptions constantly, but I'm sure, Macho Man, you have been barred from Hogwild, but your opportunity will come later. I cut a deal only because I had to. Back against the wall. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, right there in Sturgis with all your biker friends, yeah. I believe that the Giant's gonna get a bigger piece of you than you think, and if he just saves a little bit, just a little bit, I'll finish the job, I will. You know I will, dig it. You know, Randy Savage again, I wanna reiterate, it is a win-win situation for you. Hey, guys, what is this? What is this thing? The Outsiders limo pulled up and well, there were no outsiders, but uh, we got this. Let, let's, let's read this, if I may. There is, uh, yes, if our cameras could pick this up, I think what, they've what done so this? already. They, they left us a nice little note. 
All right, this apparently from the New World Order. And it says condolences on the death of WCW. All right, here it is. Bottom line, I'm not in a state of shock. We're not even shaking because this is their style. Never face up, always cheap shots. They don't want any part of my brand Sting and my brand Luga, the outsiders. This is for you, yeah. It looks to me like uh, those flowers are a little worse for wear, too, also, gentlemen. I, I don't know much. I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I, I think that the NWO and the Outsiders, are, they're not bad guy. I mean, well, no, now, now look at this. This is some pretty flowers here, a pretty shade of yellow with some black on it, too. I mean, I, I just, there's a major problem, though. I. Hope they can get their money back because uh, it says the death of WCW and the bottom line is WCW is alive and well. It is very much alive and well and I think Macho Man and Lex, you've got to agree with that. I see a very long and healthy life right here at WCW. Sorry, outsiders. Mach, could you hold these for a second, please? I All right. think one of us should kick a field goal. Uh-oh, wait a minute. Hold on here. Gentlemen, this is the way they're going to be treating this apparent. I've been a little clumsy lately. I dropped it. All right. Uh, this is kind of like uh, Freddie Cox here. Now that's a three-pointer. Tony, as we clean up the rubble, let's get back to you and Larry. Okay, the rubble is just beginning, ladies and gentlemen. Gene says that the world is getting complicated before asking a, quote, guy from New York to cut out the matlock jokes i don't have a fucking clue what he's talking about it seemed like he was talking to someone at ringside yeah i don't get it it's some kind of inside joke <laughs> i mean it's dude oakland he always just throw it in just nonsense unless okay guy from new york i guess that could be hogan nasher hall and matlock was sort of a joke about like old people so maybe on saturday night or something those guys were or is it going back to like Vince McMahon making fun of like yeah. the old wrestlers. Oh, because yeah, they were doing the um, Nacho Man, the Nacho Man stuff still, right? Yeah, they were still doing it at this point. So, yeah, I, it might have had something to do with that. New York might have just meant the WWF as it often did when they were doing yeah. that stuff. I, I think you, you'll go crazy trying to figure out a Gene Oakland <laughs> inside joke. Gene says that Randy has cut a deal to face the winner of the Giant and Hogan's title match. This is what I was talking about earlier. Apparently, the deal is that Randy agrees to be banned from Hog Wild, meaning that he can't attack Hogan during the entrance. In exchange, he will get the first title shot uh, for the Giant or Hogan, depending on who wins at Hog Wild. So that is why Randy won't be attacking him at Hog Wild. Okay. Because I think they realized we can't have a babyface attack a heel during the heels. Like, that does nothing but make the heel look like the underdog. So how do we, like, get Randy out of that promise mm-hmm. without making him look weak? So this is sort of the explanation as to why yeah. that's not going to happen. And if, you, if I thought about, like, it wouldn't, if it wasn't, like, from Bishop, but it was, like, from further up and, like, the executives were like, this is a big buck match. Here. Right, we right. Can't, we can't have him messing this up. I, I, like, I like the way they play that off then. Yeah. And, and especially, yeah, I think it's a pretty good way of getting out of it, especially because I don't know this for a fact, but – Randy Savage promising he was going to attack Hogan walking down the aisle seems like something Randy could have just spitballed out there mm. and then they were like shit we actually got to figure out how to deal with what Randy yeah. just said 
but but then it could also be even adding to that like long term thing of like Savage definitely getting the title shot right at Halloween Havoc. Yeah, it's a long ways down the road because we've talked about before. Randy has to face Hogan at Halloween Havoc because it's at Caesar's Palace and it's a deal that like they made with Slim Jim and Caesar's Palace over a year ago. So they they're <laughs> locked into that match. So. <laughs> I guess this is in kayfabe how we're getting to that point. Yeah. Um, and it's also interesting that he's going to get that title shot. And they don't say at this point that it's at Halloween Havoc, but you and I know that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. That is like two months from now. I mean, that's that's a long ways. We've got uh, we've still got Fall Brawl before that. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, if it's Hogan as champion. Yeah. Two and a half months before defending his title is not out of his realm of like sure not showing up until the until the big pay-per-view randy gives a delightfully insane promo saying that the giant will take a bigger chunk out of hogan than hogan thinks but if he leaves a little bit just a little bit Mm -hmm. randy will finish the job yeah (laughs) gene asks a follow-up but sting interrupts to show off the wreath of flowers randy says the outsiders don't want any part of his friend sting and luger Then he says the flowers are actually for the outsiders, which is a weak burn. It's like, oh, you burn me? Well, actually, you're the one who you burned (laughs) because of reasons. There are flowers. Well, how about they're your flowers? (laughs) Maybe the one who's dead is you. (laughs) Sting also wants to get in a real shitty burn, so he acts like he's grateful for the flowers. (laughs) He's like, oh, thank you for the lovely... Fl-. It's just, these guys do not know how to be cool. <laughs> right. They knew how to be cool in 1990. They don't and, know how to be cool in 1996. And, and the thing is that when he starts talking about how lovely the flowers are, yeah. I was like, it's going to be a gay joke, isn't it? <laughs> he's going to go get. He's gonna go for a gay joke here. The only problem being that the note says WCW's dead, but it's actually alive and well. Ooh, reverse burn. <laughs> you guys... He acts like they made an honest mistake. He's like, (laughs) you guys, I love these flowers, but it's factually incorrect. (laughs) Gene asks if Lex agrees, but Sting is at least smart enough to not let Lex talk too much. (laughs) So he predicts a long and healthy life for WCW. He asks Macho Man to hold the flowers, but Macho says that one of them should kick a field goal. And he drops the flowers in preparation of, like, holding them like a placeholder. Sting gets down because he's the one who's actually supposed to hold the wreath upright. And Macho kicks it right into the camera. Job done, the limo pulls off as we go to commercial with Tony wondering where Eric and Heenan are. The graphic promises that up next will be the booty man. And I genuinely considered reviewing whatever is on Raw for the next five minutes of like, you know, what was on Raw at this moment. Oh, sure. I thought that would be funny to just be like, but I'm changing the channel. But <laughs> but there's actually some stuff that happens with this Booty Man thing. But before we get to that, mm-hmm. I wanted to share this anecdote that the whole flowers thing is kind of an inside joke. It's a callback to a, a time when Jim Cornette, who had been let go from WCW, uh, and he just hated Jim Hurd, Okay. Who was running WCW at the time that this was happening? Yeah. WCW had some like really unsuccessful house show, or it was like in the news because they had fucked some big thing up. They had a big house show at an arena and like nobody came. Okay. And G- <laughs> Jim Cornette sent flowers to Jim Hurd's office that said, My condolences on the death of WCW. <laughs> they, they goddamn hit a spectacular. Uh, uh, failure of some description whether it was a, a bomb of a house show 
or a horrible pay-per-view buy rate or a, a horrible rating or whatever. Just It was a trend, but they finally hit some really spectacular failure. And I sent Jim Hurd a wreath of dead black, well, black roses. They couldn't have them dead. You know, they couldn't time it right. So a wreath of black roses uh, with a card that said, my deepest sympathies on the death of your wrestling promotion. And it said, dear Jim, and then signed Jim Cornett. So apparently from what I found out later on from Jim Ross, when Hurd got him, he got fucking hot. And he picked him up and carried him down to Ross's office and put him on JR's desk while he wasn't there. As so JR comes, I guess, because he was like, well, oh, here's your fucking pal, Cornette, right? So JR comes in and sees that and says, well, Corny wouldn't send that to me. And then he realized what the fuck was going on. And he picked him up and carried him back down to Hurd's office and set him back on Hurd's <laughs> desk. And, uh, like Cornette, I'll, I'll I'll drop in an audio clip of him telling the story, but like he says, Jr. was still working there, and they were good friends. And Jr. like confirmed Jim Hurd did get those flowers, okay. and it became like this infamous story. And so this whole thing is just kind of a little funny inside reference to that time Cornette really got a fucking good burn on <laughs> Jim Hurd. Fantastic. <laughs> After a commercial, Tony and Larry welcome us back. They are standing and shot from the waist up, an unfortunate choice since both men's polo shirts are covered in sweat stains. Yeah, Larry looks like he's lactating. <laughs> they, they should have been sitting at the booth and just shown them from, like, the <laughs> neck up. Right. It's a real unfortunate choice. They speculate a bit on where Eric and Heenan are, as for some reason an honest-to-God Larry chant gets some brief traction with the crowd. <laughs> Why? I don't know. He's he's going to get very over as we continue going forward, and I don't know. There's oh, like a time where Larry yeah. Zabisco is the most over babyface. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but we're headed there. Yeah, well, I, crowds also like the the first chant of the night. Too. That's true, very true. And it's it's usually it's like it usually is Bobby Heenan. Yeah, I I remember what you're talking about now. It's like Larry would get like the big chant right right when they go on for the show and. And I'm sure that just only fueled his ego. <laughs> Tony shows us footage from Saturday night when Ric Flair defeated Chavo Guerrero with the figure four and then refused to break the hold until Eddie Guerrero, his opponent this week, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'm sorry, this week at the pay-per-view, not yes. tonight, showed up to stop the attack. When Eddie checked on his nephew, Flair attacked him from behind. Later that night, Eddie cut a promo warning Flair that he only added to Eddie's desire to beat him this Saturday. We cut to later in the promo when Rey Mysterio is now present in a neck brace. Because uh, this was, you know, a few days after his lawn darting. Yes. <laughs> Rey addresses Nash and Hall and then holds his head and seems to forget his place, like selling that he's got a head injury so he just forgets what he's talking about <laughs> mid-sentence. So Eddie speaks up on his behalf, saying that all three men are going to fight back. Pyro goes off for the goddamn booty man for some reason, <laughs> and he comes out to the truly terrible music that I I must have forgot since the last time we saw him. Mm-hmm. Booty Babe is also out with him, and she is looking as gorgeous as ever. And also, but still wearing like a goofy ass outfit oh, of course. that just doesn't make any sense. She tells the camera that everyone is looking so bootyful. <laughs> she really sells it too. 
Larry wonders about the booty man's position with the N.W. odor, which is at least a little variation on his bad joke that he went N.W. odor. Uh, speaking of repeating yes. jokes, though, I'm also worried about the booty man's position <laughs> when it comes to New World odor. Speaking of repeating jokes, Kimberly hypes up the crowd a little bit and then turns to the camera and tells us that everyone is looking so bootyful. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she wasn't sure that they got it the first time or something. <laughs> the guys, the guys like the cameraman's like nodding. I got yeah, it. Next, got it. Thumbs up. Next butt pun, please. <laughs> Flair is out next, and at least he gets more pyro than the booty man. That's the only <laughs> consolation that there's something right yeah. in the world. By the way, we didn't mention it when they came out initially, but this is like the third week in a row in which Miss Elizabeth looks awesome. Miss Elizabeth or woman? Miss Elizabeth. Oh, okay. I guess I'd, I'm just not as big of... I'm not into Liz, really, at this point. Well, I, th- I thought you mentioned the previous couple of weeks where she you were like, oh, she looks No, really woman. Good. Woman's been looking fucking awesome. All How right. dare you? What? How dare you? <laughs> Son of a... <laughs> <laughs> uh, this indeed, is being the last week at Disney, it really seems like they're just blowing through all the unused pyro that's lying around. Yeah, there's a lot <laughs> of pyro going on. <laughs> Flair has woman Liz and Deborah with him. Once Flair makes it to the ring, Arn Anderson comes down the aisle, and he's carrying a chair with him. He's joining the cadre of wrestlers doing security tonight, but I love that Arn didn't do it all night, or even when fellow horseman Benoit was out here earlier, right. he just came out to keep an eye on the nature boy. He's Rick's boy, and he's there to protect him, and I fucking love it. It's <laughs> great. That's great. Yeah. Now, this match is for the U.S. title. <laughs> the booty man... For some reasons, getting a shot a week before the pay-per-view where Eddie's getting his shot. Implications could be that we have Eddie Guerrero versus the Booty Man at Hogwild. (laughs) Flair wastes no time going after the Booty Man with punches right at the bell. He dumps Booty to the outside and (laughs) chops him and punches him until they both roll back in the ring. Dumps the Booty to the outside. (laughs) Flair gets a snapmare and some punches, and we see Mongo and Benoit lurking near the palm tree, keeping an eye on shit. Keep an eye on the palm tree. <laughs> Suspicious. After that Irish whip, nobody trusts it. <laughs> right. We cut to the ring and both men are standing. For no reason, Booty Man <laughs> just puts both arms out to his side and like makes a T mm-hmm. and then watches, apparently helpless, as Flair, right in front of him, drops to his knees and hits him with a huge low blow. <laughs> He's like, oh no, I hope I don't get hit in the crotch soon. I better put my arms out. <laughs> it's so weird. God, it's like he's one of those guys where where you where you think he's how many years into pro wrestling? Yes, yeah, and he just has no fucking clue what he's doing. Flair comes off the ropes with a kick. Flair gouges the eyes in the corner before the two men exchange chops and punches. Heenan suddenly appears at the broadcast table at ringside, and he gets set up with a headset. Tony asks Bobby what's going on, and Heenan briefly recaps his walk off from last week from his perspective as Flair and Booty go at back and forth in the background. <laughs> Bobby says he was actually at the show on time tonight, but he couldn't find Bischoff, so he's been in the back with his thumb in his mouth. Yes, I caught that too. <laughs> <laughs> it's unclear why he didn't check in with the production team at all or just come out and join Larry and Tony earlier, because they were like, nobody's seen Bobby Heenan, but according to Heenan, he's been there for like an hour and a half at this point. <laughs> and that's assuming that he showed up when the television show started and that he wasn't there like hours early for production meetings and all the mm. shit you would have to do, you know? Yeah. At some point, I don't know if they got into it yet, but they, but uh, Tony Schiavone mentions it's like, 
Eric Bischoff shows up at like 10 a.m. Yeah. Uh, on the nights of Nitro, I'm like, that seems excessive, but I guess, okay. <laughs> I guess Bobby shows up like the second the show goes on the air, and then he just goes into a closet by himself until it's time to walk out. <laughs> right. Flairlock's on the figure four as Bobby says that Eric doesn't miss things, and this is a sign of a corporate takeover. Never mind that Bischoff mysteriously missed all of Bash at the Beach just over a month ago, and they did all the same kind of worrying, and then Bischoff just blew it off as unimportant. Like, when he was finally found, he was like, I was just at meetings. I don't know why everyone freaked out so much. Like a a bunch of girls. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that got me so much. That was good. Bobby? No, I was thinking about that, too, and I'm like, they're just going to blow this off, too, aren't they? Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. He's going to show up at Saturday night and, and be like, I, I was caught up in traffic. Oh, or God. You, you guys ever try to get through Disney at parade time? You can't. They should close all these streets down. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we've done the last four weeks. Yeah. And then I got this conversation with Mickey, and he was, you know, he likes ha- he likes Harleys, so we were talking. <laughs> Bobby, once again, <laughs> wants guarantees of personal security. But Tony can only say that he feels secure, what with all these wrestlers watching on. <laughs> in the ring, Randy Eller notices that Flair is using the ropes for leverage on the figure four, and right as Eller goes to break it up, Benoit Mongo hit the ring to attack the booty man. Heenan takes that as his cue to leave. He's just like, yeah. oh, something is slightly askew. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's That whole part is really weird. It's almost, yeah. it, To me, it almost felt like they 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 decide to have him come out at like the last second and be like just just cut a promo <laughs> just wing it yeah uh, the bell rings for the DQ and the booty man officially holds a singles victory over Ric Flair. <laughs> Flair refuses to break the hold for a while and the nor- the horsemen keep attacking the leg. Shivani points out how the wrestlers at ringside, mostly Dungeon of Doom members, are not getting involved as their sole focus is just keeping the NWO away from the show. The enforcer brings in his chair, and by the way, he is not selling any injury from last week, other than he's wearing bandages, but he's not, like, selling that he's hurt in any way. Right. He, he's still, like, dressed like your friend's dad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he hits the booty man in the knee with a chair. Tony spins this whole thing as a warning to Hulk Hogan and the NWO, as, of course, the booty man is a close personal friend of Hulk Hogan's. Mm-hmm. But he stresses that it's not necessarily saying that the booty man is a part of the NWO. He's just saying this is a warning to them anyway. (laughs) The attack continues as Flair jabs little kicks at the announcers from the ring apron for fun. (laughs) Mean Gene gets in the ring and let's hear what the horsemen have to say for themselves. He's sick. You're a sick man. I think everybody's losing control here. Nobody trusts anybody. I'm amazed that Dungeon of Doom and members of the four horsemen are all here right now and it's not breaking down. Gene Okerlund is in the ring. Gene Oakland is in the ring, and Flair is not finished with the figure four, and Mongo is down. I've never seen anything like this in my life. All right, Addison, stop this carnage right now. We've had enough of it. After last week, I can't believe it. You know, you were a victim last week. This week, you're a perpetrator. Intense pain is a wonderful thing, Gene Oakland. Your life flashes before your eyes. Things that are the most important to you become crystal clear. Look at this. You start to begin to learn the meaning of life. 
Last week when they stuffed me in that ambulance and I looked across and I saw Flair, Sting, Woman, Bagwell, and myself, I realized that we were people brought together, not by philosophy, but by necessity. And I started to think, New World Order, New World Order, where have I heard that? And I remembered in the good book it says, when the New World Order is put into place, it signals the beginning of the end of time. Well, WCW is our world. It's where we live and breathe. And if you want to destroy it, Hogan and the Outsiders, you've already made a mistake that jumps off the page. You're going to take a baseball bat to a horseman, finish the job, because there's one rule of gang fighting. See, we are the original gang, and we're the most vicious in all of professional wrestling history. They send one of yours to the hospital, you send one of theirs to the morgue. Chris Benoit. Last Monday, Nitro, people thought they seen the crippler about to break down. Distraught, what they did see was a fury of hatred, anger, and vengeance unleashed. Uh, we saw a little bit of that. Chris Benoit, of course, to be in action in Sturgis on Saturday night. Steve you Mon saw what happened last week. I you saw, saw what they perpetrated on Double A, baby. Well, let me tell you what, outsiders. You better get it together because I've been known to swing a little metal myself. And you better grow eyeballs in the back of your head because when that hair raises on the back of your neck, turn around quick. It'll be the four horsemen, baby. Thank you, uh, Ric Flair. Rick, Rick, nature boy. Come here, Hogan, wherever you are, watch this. Ric Flair sending a message to Hulk Hogan of the New World Order because of the association between the Moody Man. Tell Hogan, tell him, tell him, send the word. We take it. Eugene, Hogan, you want our attention? You just got it, huh? You think because you woke up one day, you became a bad man? <laughs> You're so wrong. You have made a mistake. This is my best friend. And you, <laughs> you crossed the line, pal, and now, Wherever you are, you're going to pay the price. There's your best friend. Come get him, big boy. Come get him. Are you through now? Yeah. Thank you very much, Ric Flair. Stay tuned. We've got okay. more Nitro live Anywhere, from our night when we come back. Anytime. He's pal. around, believe me. Flair locks on a figure four as Gene demands that Arn stop the carnage. Arn says that intense pain can be a great thing because your life flashes before your eyes and you figure out what's important to you. Last week, when Arne saw all the people affected by the NWO, it jogged his memory to the Bible, saying that when the New World Order is put into place, it signals the beginning of the end of time. He warns the NWO that if they want to destroy WCW, they've already made a huge mistake by attacking a horseman and not finishing the job. He says the horsemen believe that when someone sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of theirs to the morgue. Next up is Benoit, who says that last week everyone saw his fury and anger and vengeance unleashed. Mongo bellows that the Outsiders better get it together because he's been known to swing a little metal himself. <laughs> 
Flair shouts to Hogan to watch what he's going to do, and then he jumps out of the ring to attack the booty man, who is receiving medical attention on the outside. Flair then grabs the mic from Gene as he beats on the booty man a little more. He finishes by saying that if Hogan wants the horseman's attention, now he's got it. He says that just because Hogan woke up one day, and now he thinks he's a bad man, and I really like that. He's like, just because you're a heel now like we are, you think you're bad? Mm-hmm. It's That's kind of awesome little detail. Big mistake. Hogan crossed the line by attacking Rick's best friend, and he's going to pay the price. There's your best friend, Flair says, pointing at the booty man. Come and get him, big man. Come and get him. It's fucking, that part was cool as hell. This whole part, this whole thing is fucking awesome it is uh, and it's kind of funny because i forget i think it's actually a little later in the show when they're talking about it but tony shivani the baby face announcer is like yeah that was good <laughs> that was good that those guys beat the shit out of that uninvolved baby face just because he's friends with hulk hogan i, I like the everything about it i love because it's like for, for one thing i didn't even consider because uh, i don't I don't put much thought into the booty man. Right. So I didn't consider like the whole like send a message by beating up one of his friends. That's not the nasty boys. Right. They were, they kind of like put you in one direction. They went the other way with yeah. beating up the booty man. And the whole idea of like the other WCW guys, they're out there, but they're basically making sure no one can stop them. Right. From beating the shit out of this guy. Yeah. And then Arn Anderson delivers the fucking awesome promo. Yeah. Um, yeah, everything about this is awesome. And it's, this is like more of an embodiment of what I w- hoped the invasion would be more like. Sure. Where it's like, yeah, he's got some friends. They're fucked now. No matter <laughs> yeah, what. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I love I love Rick's line, like, you cross the line by attacking my best friend. Well, there's your best friend. Right. Like, that's great. That's yeah. so good. And and there's like, to me, there's like a little bit in, in that where it's like, yeah, we know you don't have many friends because... Your friend's the booty man. <laughs> yeah. And he's he's broken now. Like, that's the best you have for friends. Uh, so, Dave, what was your favorite booty man moment? Because this is the last time that we will be seeing that character. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and please, we will see plenty more of Ed Leslie. But the booty man <laughs> is bye-bye. <laughs> Boy, um, the only thing that's positive about him is that it kept uh booty babe around yes that is the correct answer <laughs> right and getting her to say everyone's looking bootyful <laughs> all right she, after- she understood her character way more that's than true booty Man that's did. true after a commercial tony sets up a clip of last week's big nwo attack segment they devote several minutes to clips mm-hmm. which i don't necessarily have a problem with but this seems like an odd time in tonight's show to do it. When it's finally over, we go back to sweaty Tony and Larry, and Tony <laughs> says that after seeing that footage now, he feels like what Flair and the Horseman did to the Booty Man is, quote, pretty justifiable. <laughs> no luck. I didn't need an attack from the NWO to feel like breaking the legs of Ed Leslie is completely justified. Like, if you want to break the legs of Ed Leslie, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Any day of the yeah. week. I, I'm sitting here like, didn't Arn promise to put someone in the morgue? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying in kayfabe, that's a pretty morally reprehensible stance for Tony Schiavone to take. <laughs> right. Like, it really makes him look like a sociopath. And also, it's like, well, really easy for you to say from the comfort of your announcer's desk, like, afterwards. It's just like, 
you know what? After seeing those guys who aren't Ed Leslie beat up those other guys, I'm glad that Ed Leslie just got attacked viciously by six people. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess so. Larry latches on to Arn's comments about Armageddon earlier, saying that if you shave the rest of Hogan's head, you'll find a 666 on it, and the only thing that awaits Hulk is the Lake of Fire. <laughs> yeah, see, Arn and Sam made a mistake of going like waxing philosophical yeah however that phrase is and but larry's like oh oh that's the thing i do (laughs) but i do it better we get another commercial including another paid advertisement from the new world order the following announcement has been paid for by the new world order (laughs) action First off, move this. Go down, punk him. Hey, Lux! Hey, Lux! Show me that crab shop, Lex. Well, it's something like this. <laughs> then, we give the phone call. We tell Luger, hey, you got an emergency phone call. He goes in there, boom! We punk Sting. He used to do this, remember? Woo! Then, on Monday Night Nitro, we make a little guest appearance in the back lot. Make a little batting practice on some of WCW's finest. They beat everybody up. They beat everybody up in the WCW. Guys, I wonder, maybe billionaire Ted and his Atlanta Braves, they could use a few home run hitters, because we sure know how to swing a bat. The crowning jewel. Take a look at us. Hulkster becomes the NWO World Heavyweight Champ. August the 10th. I am going to beat the Giant on August the 10th. And you know something, guys? August the 11th, man. It's my birthday. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) Giant. B. Fi. Fo. Fum. How could you be so dumb, brother, to come to Sturgis in one night? Transform the WCW belt into the NWO. You know, I like to say a little word to all the WCW wrestlers. You know, guys, it's It's only business. You know, when you start in a corporation, it's Rocky Rose. It's nothing personal. Should you choose to make it personal, hey, no problem. You know what the giant wants, brother? To keep his belt not. Ready? Go. You know, we're not talking about taking over anymore. No, not at all. We're talking about extermination. You know, Sting, Luger, sometimes you meet guys that you just like. And then sometimes you meet guys like you. You know something, Sting, Luger? You better get used to it because soon you guys are going to be out of a job. It's the new... Uh, open the answer says, All right. I got uh, Sting and Lex back here, and they've asked me to stop this take time. Okay. So All right, Craig. Trying to get a camera back here. You may want to fill just a second. All right. Are we going to Sting and Lex now? I mean, can you tell us what we're just doing? Just hang on. Fill for me just a second. All right. Well, thank on. goodness we stopped that tape. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, once again, we are in the midst of some crazy happenings here, and Mark, we apologize okay? for what happened. Yeah. As you can, Red you heard start. from yeah, uh, ahead, our director, Craig right, Leathers, we are attempting to get a camera right now back to Sting and Lex Luger. I, I guess they want to respond to what's going on. Okay. We're just going to hang out and make sure. They're in the control room. I understand. None of that goes back. I had no choice. They told me to stop the tape. I had no choice. What kind of fuck are going to catch? This is a for announcement. I didn't mean to stop it, but I had no choice. They, they actually made This is stop about money to you, isn't it? No, I it's have not. What are you, is, I, where's the I, NWO letters I, on your shirt? 
I understand. I'll just, I'll just hang out here for a while. I right? understand. Make sure that no really, trash goes on the air. I understand. We'll deal with that tomorrow. Tell, tell Master here. We'll go to break here for a second. Okay. Okay, here we go. Okay. Atlanta in right. four. Stand by, Master. Four Come on, four, lectures. Free three, pot pie and Mountain Dew in our trailer. Let's go. Oh, oh Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. That sounds great. Free pot pie oh, and Mountain Dew. Right over here. This time, Hogan waddles on his knees up to Nash, pretending to be a young fan, asking Lex to pose for him, which Nash does mockingly. Nash tells Hogan about him and Hall attacking Sting on Saturday night a couple weeks ago. They horse around in silhouette a bit and play with baseball bats. Hogan says that August 10th, he's going to win the title from the Giant, and August 11th is his birthday, which is true. I think he's turning 43, maybe 46. I'll look it up when we get to that uh, Hogwild episode. Okay. Giant, fee fi fo fum how could you be so dumb, brother? <laughs> so close. <laughs> Hall tells the WCW roster that this is only business, but if they choose to make it personal, that's no problem. <laughs> You know what the giant wants, asked Hogan? To keep his belt. Not. <laughs> I don't think Hogan understands how the whole not thing was supposed to work. He He's starting to make Sting Luger look kind of cool as a person. <laughs> also, there's like, <laughs> I, I mean, I know it's the way that they cut it up, so it's, yeah. like they, 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 it's like random shots, but you just, there's some of the expressions on Hall and Nash's face where they're like, Fucking serious. Yeah, man. they look like they're rolling their eyes at Hogan so much. I mean, they have like their shades on, so right. they just there are moments where they're like, "Fuck this guy, man." Sting and Luger better get used to this because soon they're going to be out of a job. Suddenly, the feed freezes, and we cut to Larry and Tony looking confused, and we can hear the director on their headset. He tells them that Sting and Lex are in the back and have asked him to stop playing the tape. Tony vamps a bit, but we can also hear Craig Leathers, WCW director, in the back, as well as another member of the crew who is on the phone uh, simultaneously trying to explain to the Turner higher-ups, or somebody, why the video has stopped. <laughs> we cut to the back, and we see Lex standing over the guy on the phone keeping watch. Sting is there, too, and both men are adamant that no more of that NWO video plays. Leathers says to Sting that it's a paid ad, and Sting acts like a huge dick, basically yeah. accusing Craig Leathers, who's just the director of the show, mm -hmm. of being on the take. He's like, yeah. oh, so you're getting money from him? It's like, no fuckface, the network is. Like, this isn't hard to figure out. And he starts asking, like, a lot of those, like, kind of gotcha questions. Yeah. Like, yeah, so what's the logo on your shirt say? Answer the question, what's the logo on your shirt yeah. say? And, and it's just like, yeah. <laughs> it's very like when when did you stop beating your wife type of bullshit you know right do, do your parents know you're gay <laughs> right it's, it's exactly <laughs> leather sends it to commercial as sting cribs lines from nash saying that there's free pot pie and mountain dew in his trailer yeah what we were saying earlier about them copying yep when we return from commercial snare drums herald the entrance of craig Pittman and his manager teddy long He's ignored completely by Tony and Larry, who instead talk about how WCW and Turner don't need the NWO's money to air their ads. The WCW World's Heavyweight Champion Giant makes his way to the ring along with Jimmy Hart, and we go to commercial, and it I'm sure it's the same number. It feels like there's a dozen extra commercial breaks tonight. I, to be honest, I didn't notice. Sure. It. Yeah. Nick Patrick shows both men the belt and then calls for the bell, but both managers are still in the ring. <laughs> They, whoever the timekeeper is, I don't know if it's the refs or the timekeeper, but 
WCW does this all the time. Either the belts are still in the ring, or the announcers, are, or the the managers are, or the valets, mm. or one guy's one of the wrestlers isn't in the ring. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the bell rings, and then he shows the belts to the camera. They're like, "Here, these are on, you mm. know, whatever." Or the belt, not the belt, just the one. The two combatants begin circling each other, and here to call all the championship action is our own champion, Dave Amantorp. Hooray! <laughs> you did it. <laughs> all right. So just, <laughs> just to, just to say beforehand. So it's like the Giant versus Greg, uh, Craig Pitbull Pittman. I expected this to be a very short match. Yes. I expected it to be so short that I I went move by move on this match. <laughs> okay. Then I realized it's about three or four minutes long. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll try to summarize it, but I did end up right. It ended up being uh, 23 moves. Um, but I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Well, maybe I will. <laughs> uh, collar and elbow tie-up uh, led to a fake-out. That was move one. Then second collar and elbow tie-up to a fake-out to a waist lock by Craig Pitbull Pittman. The giant does not seem very amused by this. <laughs> he breaks a waist lock with a butt thrust. By the way, that's going to be half his moves in this match. Yeah, he the, does a lot of that butt thrust. The, and I have no idea what else to call it. The butt thrust seemed okay to me. Uh, then we get a mighty kick from the giant that knocks over Pittman, then stomp, stomp, third stomp. Then the giant stands on Craig Pitbull Pittman, which I counted as a wrestling move, <laughs> standing on him. The giant pushes the Pittman into the corner. And a mighty boot across Pitbull's throat. Then kick, 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 kick. This is when I realized I shouldn't have been doing the move by move. Once he has four kicks. <laughs> uh, then we get a Pitbull headbutt, but a kick from someone. I just wrote kick. Who kicks? <laughs> uh, someone. Someone kicks. The forearms by the giant. Then we get an Irish up to the opposite corner. And we get a butt thrust. Then a missed butt thrust. Ooh. Then we get a move that nowadays just looks so, it, it just looks so, like, dangerous. Is the, what I call the missile headbutt by Craig Pitbull. Oh, yes. He just launches himself head first into a person, especially recently because there was that guy from the Steelers that pretty much paralyzed himself. Yeah. Doing the exact same thing. Yeah. It, ju- it just, it looks so careless. So he does one of those, and the giant growls and no-sells it. So Pittman thinks, hmm, maybe I'll try it again. Growls, no-sells it. Pittman's like, well, third time's got to be a charm, right? And he just walks right into the choke slam for the one, two, three. Did you notice that the ropes were squeaking during this match? <laughs> I did not. I've never noticed that before, and it might be just the weight of the giant, but the ropes were, like, distractingly squeaky. He, I mean, he is considerably bigger than anyone we've seen so far tonight. I mean, because we we really haven't had any other like really big wrestlers, like because they're all at ringside. Right, that's true. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe they're loose or or too tight. I don't know. Humidity is getting to him. Sure. The giant is poised to continue the attack on Pittman, but Teddy Long manages to talk him out of it, or so it seems, because the giant instead decides to choke Teddy Long, which was. I have to admit, like, shocking to see, uh, because in the many years that he spent in WWE, uh, you know, uh, kind of as the commissioner of SmackDown mostly is, is kind of the era that I'm thinking of, he was completely off limit for bumps. 
Oh, sure. at least from the time that I started rewatching, I kind of came back in. You got me back into wrestling in like 2009, mm-hmm. and he was still the commissioner of SmackDown around that time, uh, or maybe Vicky was, and he he had some kind of role, but he was like strictly no bumps. Nobody ever did anything to Teddy Long. Not only that, but like it was like he never got into the ring. Right, he was always on on the stage. It was clear he had some kind of health issue, where like an insurance thing was like, mm-hmm. you are not to perform any kind of wrestling yeah. at all. So it was shocking seeing him take a choke slam. And this from the and giant. this was an example of why he doesn't take bumps because you notice that he that the giant picks him up for the choke slam, but yeah. he doesn't know how to position himself to land properly. Right. So the giant like he repositions him in air to make sure he lands flat on his back and not like on his legs are on his yeah. tailbone or something like that i got you little buddy <laughs> right but you're yeah you're right i mean we um maybe when he when the giant debuted he might have been choke slamming non-wrestlers but we haven't seen a whole lot of that yeah and it's kind of strange having the giant suddenly get very heelish in the go home show to a pay-per-view where he's the baby face in the main event but i guess it might be just a little bit of like it's the late 90s and anti-heroes are really becoming a thing and like maybe that's cool maybe they're like yeah he's just gonna fuck up everybody it, it, uh, I don't mean to compare <laughs> the giant to Steve Austin but Steve Austin sure. would have stunner gave a stunner to Teddy Long in that mm-hmm. circumstance and, and I, everyone would have loved him for it you know and also I think that people just like seeing him beat up anyone that's and true. if they're if they're like lower on the car they're not it's not like gonna make people hate him yeah, because it's it's like if he choke slam both of high voltage, it's not going to really affect it. Giant, I'm going to talk to you in a moment. I can't believe manhandling Teddy Long. Here's a manager. He's just a, a guy off the street. And Jimmy Hart, <laughs> I'm completely beside myself. Good, Gene. That's the way we like for everybody to be. Hogan, all of your life, everybody has always told you what you wanted to hear, except for Jimmy Hart. When I was your manager, I always told you the truth, but you didn't want to listen to me. Well, you better listen to me now. And Sturgis, Hey, hey, wait a minute, wild. Jimmy, hold on just a second. I, I am told that the limousine is returning, and I could only mean one thing. That could, I mean, I've, I've got to believe that the outsiders, that the new Ward Order probably try to show their presence again. Yep, uh, Jimmy Hart, if you want to finish up, go ahead. I'm sorry about the interruption. What I was trying to say is hog wild, Hogan. The John will be ready for you. All right. The WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the Giant, this coming Saturday night at Hog Wild. No holes barred. You know what it's all about. You and Hulk Hogan straight up. And I can't believe I say again what you have done here tonight. What I just did right here was a message to the world. I have never come out here and said I was a nice guy. I never tried to be a role model. I had one job. That job was to be the world heavyweight champion. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be the world champion of the greatest wrestling organization in the world. Do I feel sorry for these people right here? No, I don't. I don't feel sorry for anybody that gets in my way, whether it's you, whether it's you, whether it's anybody. Hogan, you've had your couple of weeks. You've talked your trash. You and Hall and Nash about how you're gonna take over WCW. Brother, let me tell you, it's very simple. 
Your 15 minutes are up. I am the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. I dare you. I defy you. If you have any guts at all, show up at Sturgis and I'll show them to you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. The Giant to meet Hulk Hogan this coming Saturday night, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock, I believe that's 8 o'clock Eastern Time on pay-per-view. Stay tuned. More Nitro Live from Orlando when we come back on TNT. Gene Okerlund is in the ring, and he sets up Jimmy Hart to yell at Hogan about how he's always been the one guy to tell Hogan the truth, and he's going to do it now. But Hart is quickly interrupted by the limo from earlier returning. Hart screams that the Giant will be ready for Hogan. Giant says that what he just did was send a message that he's never tried to be a nice guy or a role model, so he's actually addressing my exact concern. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, I'm not a nice guy. I'm not a role model. He, I have one job, and that's to be the champion. He says that he doesn't feel sorry for the men he beat up or for anybody that gets in his way. Giant claims that Hogan's 15 minutes are up, which is a weird thing to say about a guy who's been really famous for like 15 years straight. <laughs> right. Your 15 years are up, maybe. Yeah. But 15 minutes, I was like, dude, you're in like your first year. Mm-hmm. And he's been around. He's one of the biggest celebrities on the planet. <laughs> After that, we go to commercial, and blood's still going to run cold, believe it or not. So cold. And, uh, hey, remember how recently Macho Man reclaimed his briefcase full of money from the horsemen, finally wrapping up that storyline? Finally, yeah. Well, we see some clips on a recent Saturday night where Macho Man brought it to the ring with him, and Deborah McMichael and Mongo just stole it again. Ah, son of a bitch! (laughs) Now, why the fuck nobody who's been in possession of this case put the money in the goddamn bank is beyond me. That's a good point. <laughs> Macho Man gets it back and instead of being like, wow, I can't believe there's still so much cash in here. I better put it in the bank. He just drags it out to ringside with him like a complete boob. <laughs> anyway, here's the nasty boys. <laughs> Larry, Fantastic. <laughs> Larry wonders if they're with the new world odor. <laughs> Tony advertises WCW Pro, a syndicated show which airs Saturday mornings. He notes that this week you can see Malenko get his rematch with Ray for the cruiserweight title, which is odd because, of course, Saturday night on the pay-per-view, Malenko is wrestling Chris Benoit, and if he beats him, he's supposed to get a title cruiserweight rematch. <sighs> so that seems weird. <laughs> Sad trombone. <laughs> It's like, okay, you've already taped that and it's going to be on the show. Well, then don't advertise it. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't specifically mention it on Nitro, you moron. That is like the, that's one of those you had one job sort of thing. Yeah, and I shouldn't say moron like it's Tony's fault. Tony's just doing what he's told, you know. Right. Sting and Lex are out next to Sting's music. Last week, they, along with Randy, came out to Sting's music, and I feel like it should have been Lex's this week. They're always coming out to Sting's music, and Lex got a sweet theme. Yeah, and Sting's is like, nah. <laughs> yeah, it's very early 90s. Like, we need yeah. something a lot grungier now. Mm-hmm. They get pyro and are very relaxed and chatty on their way to the ring. Because they're cool now. We're so... Oh, God. I just... You can just picture them like... Well, I guess they weren't on the road because they're still just at Disney MGM. But just like sitting in their hotel room playing cards being like, we gotta be cooler, you guys. <laughs> Larry says the Nasties aren't much to look at, but they are a good tag team. He drops another New World Odor line, 
And he started with him pretty slow this week, and now I think he's up to four. I think he's, like, mm-hmm. really trying to beat last week's six, and he's getting <laughs> them all out at the end here. He sees how many times he could say New World Order, then next week try to break that record. <laughs> the Steiner brothers come out to the ring as, I guess, they're going to be some extra security uh, from NWO Attack. They didn't care until, like, their best buddies were out there either, I guess. Mm-hmm. Also, um, Scott Steiner... Like yeah. at this time, just like stone faced is kind of terrifying. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. he, he's walking out. He has a chair in his hand and he looks like it's going to be death to the first person that crosses him. <laughs> it's pretty it, it. It's effective. Lex and Jerry Sag start off the match with Sags beating down on Luger quickly. Luger kicks his way back into things and then it's punches and kicks for a bit before an Irish whip. Luger charges Sags in the corner, but Jerry gets a boot up on the total package's face and tags in Brian Nobbs. The Nasties double-team Lex to the mat, and Nobbs drops a couple of elbows and gets a two-count. After some back and forth, Lex tags in Sting, who hits a flying clothesline on Nobbs, followed by a bad bulldog for two, broken up by Sags. Sting comes off the ropes, and Sags is too late to trip him, so Sting hits Nobbs with a shoulder block before going back to the same ropes so Sags can indeed trip him. <laughs> there you go, buddy. You did it. <laughs> Nobbs drops an elbow on the Stinger, as Tony mentions that next Monday Night Show will finally be back on the road, airing live from Casper, Wyoming. In the ring, Sags, who is now the legal man, is in control of Sting until he brings back in Nobbs. Sags whips Nobbs into Sting for two. Nobs tags Sags and then hits a drop toe hold on Sting, allowing Sags to do a leg drop on the back of Sting's neck. Back in comes Nobs with his 50th elbow drop of the fucking match for one. <laughs> Nobs slaps on a chin lock and Sting tries to crawl to Luger, but Nobs cuts him off. Nobs gets a soups, scoop slam and tags in Sags. Sags literally comes in, drops a knee on Sting, puts him in a wrist lock, and tra- tags in Nobs again. <laughs> I know that like quick tags are supposed to be like an exciting, cool thing, but mm-hmm. if when it's the Nasty Boys, it's just like garbage move, tag, garbage move, tag. Just right. like it's <laughs> so boring and plotting. <laughs> punch, 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 another fucking elbow drop, and, na- and Nobs goes for a second rope slash, but Sting gets his feet up into Nobs' mouth. Nobs tags and stags, but Sings finally gets the hot tag to Lex, and in the one good moment of this match, Lex slingshots himself over the top rope and hits Sags in the face with a drop kick as he does so, and still manages to land on his feet. Nice. It is the most graceful thing I have ever seen Lex Luger do. The total package. And I think it I think it happened because he wasn't planning it. He just did it without thinking about it. Right. It looked great. <laughs> Lex hits a bunch of clotheslines on both nasties and gets a power slam on Sags. He goes for the torture rack, but is stopped by Nobs. Sting comes in and all four men brawl. Brawl. Yeah, brawl. <laughs> Sags and Lex, the legal men, fight in the outside, while Nobs and Sting fight in the ring. Sags goes to clothesline Lex, but Luger ducks, and Sags' arm instead runs into the back of Rick Steiner's head, as Rick was keeping an eye in the opposite direction for the outsiders. Rick retaliates with his own clothesline on Sags. Luger tosses him into the ring, where Sting puts him in the Scorpion Deathlock, and Sags gives up before Nobs can prevent it, and Lex and Sting win despite Sting not being the legal man. Jimmy Jet is dumb. <laughs> we go to commercial. <laughs> when we come back, we close the show with Mean Gene in the ring as we see the limo park nearby. Sting and Luger have brought a couple little buddies to the ring, and these two kids flex their best as Sting gets the crowd to clap. As a dad of a kid around that age, I was completely in love with this moment. 
But I imagine that most people are wondering why they're supposed to give a shit about these two little kids. Right. And uh, it continues to make Sting and Lex look like nerds because the Outsiders would have never done this. <laughs> right. Even if the Outsiders were baby faces, they never would have been like, oh, get in here, kid. Ooh, look at those muscles. Like, right. it just it <laughs> never would have happened. <laughs> it just shows that they have to, like, put an effort into being cool. Yeah. Like, bottom line, they're like, hey, buddy, how you doing? You're joining the show? <laughs> Lex and Sting scuttle the kids from the ring as Gene asks them about the Saturday. Sting and Lex grin about the limo being back. On the off chance that the Outsiders are in there, Sting and Lex decide to go check it out. Gene asks if this is a rib, and Sting says no. So we've had hot tag and rib used just kind of openly in this episode now. Also, it takes Sting a lot of convincing to make Luger want to go check. Yes. He's like, there is a chance <laughs> they're in there. Yeah. <laughs> and and Luger's like, nah. Yeah, but I'm tired. <laughs> Tony suggests that if the Outsiders are in there, they should get bashed through the, the, uh, what's that? We're out of time? <laughs> Tony says they have to end the show as the Stinger opens the door and a black leather satchel is thrown at him by someone inside the limo. The door shuts slowly, or the door, the door shuts suddenly and the limo slowly pulls away. As the show fades to black, Sting notes that it's a Turner bag. Hmm. I think the implication is that it's supposed to be Eric Bischoff's. Uh, okay. They sure. really don't spell that out, but that's that's the best I can come up with. Is it's a Turner bag, it's Bischoff's, and that's about it. It's a sign that they have him captive. Now, uh, it wasn't until the open of WCW Saturday Night that viewers would learn what was inside the bag, but the extra footage that they actually put on that Saturday night, mm -hmm. the WWE Network includes on this just episode of Nitro. It just says like extra footage or bonus footage or something like that. Yeah. Um, so we'll cover it now because we would end up talking about it in our next episode anyway for Saturday night. Right. So in the extra footage, Sting opens the bag and inside is a note from the NWO. Uh, you can tell because it has the NWO logo at the top. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of them being like, all right, put the logo up. Hulk just in there personally like, all right, brother, make sure our logo is up at the top. Mm -hmm. It reads, Ray was right. There are four guys. Or are there five? <laughs> See you in Sturgis. And by the way, Sting reads us like he's just learning how to read, too. Well, yeah, because Sting and Lex are just, they're acting very goofy and, like, this doesn't affect, like, mm. who cares? Whatever. I don't care. There could be a hundred guys. Whatever. They're just, yeah. they're being so silly and dumb. And, like, a thousand times they're like, well, how come the bag doesn't have their logo on yeah. it? Yeah, ooh, the NWO doesn't have their own bags yet. Wow, <laughs> you got them. You really <laughs> slaughtered those guys. <laughs> Please buy the Sting bag. <laughs> That's the end of <laughs> our show. Uh, not our show, the show. The we show. got plenty more to do. Is we got to go through our raw recap. Woo! Jerry Lawler defeated Aldo Montoya. Hell yeah! The Body Donnas defeated the New Rockers. What? Anytime the tag team is the new anything, it's <laughs> yikes! It's great, is what you meant to say. Ahmed Johnson won an eleven-man battle royal, earning him a title match on the post-SummerSlam Raw. Uh, but as we mentioned last week, he is actually, this was taped earlier, he is actually out with a kidney injury. Mm -hmm. So that title match that he we saw him win tonight, we already know by the time it aired, will not be happening. Ah. In our ratings roundup, Raw got a 2.8 and Nitro got a 3. And for some reason, I don't have the hour breakdown. That's odd. Mm, Nitro won, though. Hang on. 
Let me look at that, actually. Oh, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Who <laughs> fucking cares? I mean, I care, but I don't care that much. <laughs> In our observe this... <laughs> <laughs> I still got to come up with a good intro. Hey, guys, I like, observe this. <laughs> observe this. <laughs> Meltzer starts off The Observer, which covers this week, the August 14th, 1996 issue, if anyone's interested, by giving a history of New Japan Pro Wrestling interspersed with coverage of the 1996 G1 tournament. It's a very interesting read if you want to know more about New Japan history uh, and kind of what's going on at this point, but you don't want to read all of Lion's Pride, the the pretty good book that's also written about the history of New Japan. Mm -hmm. So what he kind of writes is he flips between Knights of the G1. So he'll write a, he'll write like a section on a couple years of New Japan history, and then he'll write about Night 1 of the G1. Mm -hmm. And then he'll write about the next few years of New Japan and the Night 2 of the G1. And it just kind of keeps it like alternating chapters. And it's a, it's a really interesting read and an unusually artistic approach from Big Dave, who is normally quite, quite prosaic in his writing. And it ends up taking up the entire issue, culminating with Ricky Chosu winning, winning the G1. Uh, he actually goes undefeated in that tournament, which is the beginning of his road to semi-retirement. So most of the news for this week is actually shoved into a double issue the next week, the August 19th, 1996 edition, which is written and published after Hogwild has actually taken place. Oh, okay. So I'm just going to grab the news that kind of pertains to this week. I'm not going to go, you know into post hog wild news jushin liger has a brain tumor something that dave mentioned in the new japan issue and in the new one it ends up not being that big a deal uh it's not cancerous they take it out and he doesn't even really miss significant uh. time as far as brain tumors go it <laughs> right. was it ended up being i mean he's still wrestling today so spoiler alert he's okay <laughs> spoiler alert i gotta go see if he's still alive <laughs> Jeff Jarrett has quit uh, USWA, the the Memphis uh, promotion that Lawler still runs, and he's going to be joining WCW, so fuck me. <laughs> so fuck me running. <laughs> Ahmed Johnson is scheduled for kidney surgery on August 12th. I also remember this as one of those instances in which WWF shows, like, the surgery video. On, oh, to, sure. To be yeah. like... Don't worry. Don't forget about this guy because yeah, we've yeah, invested yeah. a lot in him. And they do. I know at some point they also do like the that at home sort of deal. So it's just like they're yeah. they're making sure you don't forget about this like prize possession of theirs. Dave also decides to start the Observer Hall of Fame in this issue, and he announces a group of a few dozen guys who are the inaugural members who don't need to get like voted in as the mm -hmm. future classes will. So here's a complete list of current WCW roster members who are on that list. I, I was about to say, because I've gone through this Hall of Fame before, and I know the first one's like, there's like 50 guys. Yes. But so I was, hoping, I was hoping you weren't going to be like, and here are all the No, names. no, no. Here are just the guys who are current WCW roster members. Ric Flair, Bobby Heenan, Hulk Hogan, Dusty Rhodes, and Randy Savage. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. I feel like that we're still it, there's still like the sting debate like today is yes it? it's a that's a one that seems to be very divisive in mm. the uh observer like voting ranks or whatever yeah i i feel like that that is probably the most like um legitimate hall of fame for wrestling Either that or just like the pro wrestling hall. There's like a pro wrestling. I know hall there, thing. yeah, and I don't know a lot about that one. So mm -hmm. like I, but yeah, you're. I've certainly yeah. heard of it. But but the but the the wrestling observer one is really good because it's like the first 
like 96 right away though he's like everyone that should be in it up to this point is inducted right away it's like a very comprehensive list of like pioneers yeah and promoters and wrestlers so there's a lot of guys where it's like if you read it's like oh they were also the 96 class right and it's like yeah there were a lot of guys in the 96 <laughs> class what do you uh you know as long as we've got the jumping off point of talking about the observer hall of fame what do you think about sting as a hall of famer um i i heard i heard at some point people were comp- making the comparison of him and randy orton that uh, i i could definitely see a lot of comparisons there mm-hmm. and i and personally i would say that randy orton's surpassed him at this point just because he's had i think of i mean more prolific career i will say orton has never been the guy Mm-hmm. in the way that Sting was definitely the guy at one point. But it's worth mentioning that when Sting had his time as the guy, it was not a successful period mm-hmm. for WCW at all. So I mean, just being the guy while your company is, like, hemorrhaging money, mm-hmm. I don't know how much points that really gets you. Well, I mean, you usually I kind of go with, like, the basic question of, uh, can you tell the history of a promotion or a, a significant promotion without mentioning this person. Ooh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And I feel like if you're talking WCW, and WCW obviously was big enough in which they have lots of Hall of Famers, uh-huh. I would I would think you would have to include Sting. Absolutely. Um, By that metric, I would say Sting is yes, absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, personally, I'm not sure why it's like up to for debate because it's like he's a pretty well-known name. He's had a lot of like significant matches, feuds, championships yeah he has a there's 99 percent of wrestlers have not done as much as he has done yeah i've got to say i don't have much to add because i completely agree with you in my in my hall of fame that i make up in my head like stings in there and i'm not a big sting guy Mm -hmm. i don't think he's had a lot of great matches i don't think he's had a ton of great promos arguably the most memorable year of his career he didn't talk yeah um but i still think he's He's just a big enough factor, mm-hmm. um, especially during wrestling's biggest boom in this country. Mm-hmm. He was a big part of it, and uh, he absolutely deserves well, to be in, in a Hall of Fame. Well, it's like I'm not a fan of Lex Luger, but I would include Lex Luger in a Hall of Fame. I I, I think oh, it, that'd be a tougher one for me. I I mean I I just still just base it on like if you're talking about like NWA in the 80s, yeah. WCW in the 90s. WWF in the early 90s yeah. like he's all over the place and and as far as like you know he had a lot of significant feuds with like Ric Flair yeah um uh that great feud with Tatanka over who sold out to the million dollar man well yeah of course <laughs> uh the ally powers obviously a yeah. significant <laughs> celebrating after winning via countout over Yokozuna yes. at SummerSlam <laughs> What I mean, like body slamming Yokozuna on the USS Intrepid is like one of the biggest '90s moment, one of the biggest and most '90s moments in wrestling. Yeah, so I uh, we should have just like bonus episodes where we debate if one guy deserves to be a Hall of Famer or not. uh, Or is that too like? First take, cold pizza, FS1 bullshit. No, I mean, <laughs> fact is, I would I would be all about that. If you're yeah, like, mm. more part in the interruption style episodes. Or if you're like, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the significance of Harlem Heat for five hours. Yeah. I'll be like, I'm there. 
Yeah, we should. Well, I was thinking after we get to the one year mark, we should have like kind of more of a topics-based discussion for just like a bonus episode or maybe a few. There's yeah. a state of WCW one year into the Nitro era. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's keep going through the news. We'll we'll get there when we get there. Uh, AAA is having a tournament to crown their four-man champion, uh, which is I just wanted to mention because I've never heard of a four-man title before in any promotion. So like uh, uh, like a four-man tag team? Yeah, you've got okay. trios. You've got yeah tag team, trios, and then a four-man mm. championship belt now. Which I've uh, just yikes. That sounds like. I mean, I know in Lucha they're really big into multi-man yeah. tags, but I that that seems like a belt too far for me. <laughs> that just reminds me that recently in uh, DDT wrestling, yeah, Dramatic Dream Team, they have the ten-man uh, tag team titles. <laughs> but that's I've just, thought about getting their streaming service if it's easy to figure out but that, uh, in but, English. And they the thing is like they have all the belts look the same, but they yeah. all have different like rainbow colors. That's like awesome. Straps. That's so cool. I haven't found like I I haven't I just saw like the the prototype like drawing of it. I've not seen the picture. I'm okay. I've been looking for them because they sound amazing. The one two three kid, aka Sean Waltman, is ready to start with WCW as soon as WCW as soon as WWF officially signs off on his release paperwork. Uh, which is going to become kind of a mini ordeal over the next few weeks, mm. uh, maybe even having an effect on the pay-per-view. Dave makes an offhand note about how he just learned that Lanny Poffo is currently being paid by WCW to do nothing. Now, this is a very famous and off-sided yes. example of WCW throwing money around stupidly, and I've heard numbers of anywhere from 75000 to 150000 a year mm-hmm. uh, paid to the Lenny Poffo, for those who don't know, is the genius and the real-life brother of Randy Savage. Um, so Brian Alvarez, in in the book Death of WCW, he gives that one hundred fifty thousand a year, and I assume you know he's got Big Dave back in him. I'm assuming he's got some kind of like factual basis for saying that. Um, but I I looked into it and I can't find. So because of a racial discrimination lawsuit that's going to happen in the future, mm-hmm. a lot of WCW pay information is publicly available because it was entered into court. Oh, and sure. you can indeed find that they paid um, Lanny Poffo some money, but it was like $5,000 in 1996, $5,000 in 1998, and nothing in any other year. Okay. Um, Lanny Poffo has said publicly that it was done completely as a favor to the Macho Man, um, so it's possible that it just came out of Randy's money and maybe like the accounting was weird on it. So it didn't just show up as a straight paycheck with Lanny's name on it. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, so I don't know what the accurate number is for how much money they paid him. Um, but he certainly was getting paid. All parties kind of agree to that. And uh, he never showed up. He even uh, his family purchased the rights to the gorgeous George gimmick. And that was what he was going to come in and do. <laughs> The original Gorgeous George. Yes. His nephew owned the rights to that gimmick. Mm-hmm. And he was doing it, I think, on the indies. But then Randy and Lanny Poffo paid him for that gimmick. And so they were going to bring it into WCW. Now, the guy, Gorgeous George's nephew, he did come into WCW on his own. But he had a different gimmick when he came into WCW. Do you want to guess which gimmick? Think of obscure, stupid WCW guys. Okay. <laughs> and which one seems like he could have been a gorgeous george type um and now because i asked this so convoluted that he's been like five minute segment on our show. 
I was just getting thrown off because you were talking about how the Poffos owned the. Yes, I'm sorry about that. Um, this is the guy they bought it from, basically. Boy. Um, I'm, um, the artist formerly known as Prince Ikea? The Maestro. Oh. You remember the Maestro? Now, yeah. Yeah, okay. there it is. I guess it was. This was all just so I could mention the maestro, and we could have that. Oh, that guy. Yeah. No, you were you were mentioning about how the Poffos owned the Gorgeous George gimmick. Yes. And then eventually Savage had his stripper girlfriend called Gorgeous George. Yes. And I didn't realize it was like, oh, they owned the rights. They didn't just call her that. Yeah. No, they actually. Yes, they okay. could do. They could call her Gorgeous George in a wrestling context, specifically because they owned the name of that gimmick. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre I didn't, I didn't know i didn't know that i thought they were yeah. just like no one's gonna care if we call yeah. it gorgeous george no they they own the rights because they thought lanny would just come into wcw and be gorgeous george 96 or whatever or well at that time the thing was you call everything 2000 he would have been gorgeous george 2000 <laughs> gorgeous george 2k gorgeous george 2000 <laughs> <laughs> I am a homosexual. <laughs> I want to kiss you and wrestle you. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> it's kind of weird because uh, I didn't realize when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that genius thinks he's so much smarter than me. But if you go back and watch, there's also a lot of gay overtones to that character that I did not pick up on when I was a kid. <laughs> so uh, you you can see how he would have been a gorgeous George type, yes. I guess is my yep. point. Anyway, uh, Dave, what did you think of Nitro this week? Um, was it successful as a go-home show? Not particularly, because uh, a lot of the guys in the main matches weren't even there. Hall and Nash, not in the show. Oh. Well, except for in the paid advertisement, which I don't quite count. I don't really count that. There's no, There was no confrontation between the Outsiders or Hogan. Hogan and the Giant have like not looked at each other. Yeah, for, like since they last wrestled each other, basically. I think for younger people in our in our audience, it may seem like that's a typical thing because for the last five years, Brock Lesnar has been that type of champion for mm-hmm. significant chunks of time. But in 1996, the idea of a the champion of your promotion, and Hulk is not the champion yet, but like, the biggest star of your promotion, let's say, just sort of being gone for like months at a time and engaging in championship feuds where he's barely actually on the show. Mm-hmm. That was unheard of in 19. I can't think of anything like that. Yeah. Um so it's just it's very strange and and I don't I guess we'll we'll see how that kind of plays out as mm-hmm. we go into uh the Hogan Champion era. But I agree. I did not think this episode was fine. It wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. Um but it wasn't great and I I have trouble even coming up with a segment of the night. So I'm going to put the onus on you. What was your segment of the night tonight my segment of the night was the horseman beatdown of the booty man yeah that along with the kick-ass promo by arn anderson and and also the whole idea of rick flair just going in for business into business for himself of yeah. being like i should be facing hulk hogan yeah well the tensions uh, over here yes and, but and that actually isn't going into business for himself because keep in mind what the thursday after the pay-per-view so like a week and a half from today in kayfabe mm-hmm. is Clash of the Champions where he's facing Hogan. So Have they announced that though? 
they've announced like they talk about it a little bit on like Saturday night and I think they have like commercials for it but they don't just talk about it on Nitro because I don't think they want to like detract from Saturday too much but it ends oh, up being sure. a very big deal uh, because it's it's Flair and Hogan and I think it might end up and and we'll probably cover that clash of the champions mm-hmm. I think it might end up at the time getting like some kind of ratings record for TBS it becomes a huge deal um and sort of you know you could speculate that well whatever we'll talk about that down the road all right uh who is my segment of the night I know that's not a sentence my brain's dying we're recording this much later than usual mm-hmm. I'm very sleepy uh my segment of the night what fuck it same thing yeah, I, I try to think of something different, but mm-hmm. there just wasn't anything I really want to pick differently on the show. Um, and uh, we might be in lockstep here, too, but I'm going to go with Ric Flair uh, for like getting through a match with the booty man and then having those great lines in that promo. Uh, Arn had some great lines, too, but fuck it. Ric Flair is the man and I'm going to go with the man. <laughs> My MVP is going to be the palm tree. Finally getting in the action, <laughs> mixing it up with uh, Dean yeah. Malenko and Chris Benoit. They oh, finally used Chekhov's palm tree. <laughs> right? Weeks and weeks of the palm tree. Um, th- that will be tied. I, I was actually going to say Arn Anderson just because sure. I, lo- I loved his promo because he because it's like every every everything that Larry Zbysko wants to be in a promo. Yeah. Arn Anderson is. Yes, like the sure. waxing poetic, like, like the hyperbole of uh, like end of time. Like, right? If you if you heard about like Arn Anderson doing a promo about end of times, you'd be like, oh, it's probably pretty sweet, right? You hear Larry Zbysko talking about end of times, you're like, oh, what what's he gonna fuck up about that this time? But uh, so it's a tie between Arn Anderson and the palm tree. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, we will see you in our next episode. And Dave, I'm going to spring something on you because I think that springing it on you, you'll feel pressured to agree with me. Sure. Uh, I think that we should cover the full two-hour Saturday night pre-show for Hogwild as its own episode, give it a full 20 years of Nitro treatment, and then come back with another episode after that for Hogwild. What do you think about that? I am going to guess you're saying that because you've already started prep on that. Well, I mean, I either way, I do about the same amount of prep. Okay. So Sure. Fuck it. Why not? All right. <laughs> it's going to be an easy one to cover because you don't have a lot of moves to write because there's like, it's two-hour pre-show. There's like nine matches, but I think none of them are more than four minutes long. <laughs> They're in all incredibly short matches. And plus then we're finally ending the saga of like every single show being outside. Yes, that's true. I and which I didn't, I didn't. I just like I'm realizing now. Like, is does I wonder if Hogwild feels anticlimactic being an outdoor show if like the last five weeks have been outdoors? I've been watching a little bit of it as I kind of get ready, and I'll say that in my opinion, Disney MGM looks much better than Sturgis, South Dakota. <laughs> if anything, that, the pay per view is a huge downgrade. Sweet, and we are gonna have. <laughs> five hours of it to talk with you nice i hope that we don't talk for five hours but hey our bash at the beach episode almost got to that length and that was just one two three hour Mm pay-per-view uh either way we will see you right here where the big boys play ho 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 20 years of nitro (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) love it 
and Alex Wright's going to win this by count out. Second time now, Malenko in three weeks has caused Benoit to lose by count out. Watch out the palm tree.